2017 uh, Sacramento City Plan and Design Commission meeting. If you have any electronic devices, please silent or put them in vibrant mode or abbreviate in the meeting. We'll start with roll call. Fisher Bodipo Memba. Lafaso. Here. Coville. Here. Hoffman. Here. Lindsay. Here. Farrell. Here. Buckybaum. Here. Rogers. Here. Juan Connolly. Here. E. Ogilvy. Here. Vice Chair Lucian. Here. Chair Burke. Here. Have a quorum. Fantastic. We'll go to the consent calendar. Item number one. Approval of the meeting minutes of January 30th, 2017. Got a motion from Commissioner Wong Conley, a second from Commissioner Farrell. We'll go to roll call vote. Commissioner Ogilvy? E? Wong Conley? Aye. Rogers? Aye. Buckybaum? Aye. Farrell? Aye. Lindsay? Aye. Hoffman? Aye. Coville? Aye. LaFosso? Aye. Vice Chair Lucian? Abstention. Chair Burke? Aye. Motion passes. Fantastic. Thank you. We'll go to uh, item number two, the director's report. Uh, director Cosgrove? We have an official planning director starting on Monday. Just a reminder to the commission that Tom Pace will be joining us as our planning director starting this Monday, the 11th, which is great news for the department. Um, and also just to bring to your attention that uh, on November 28th, the City Council heard a large package of um, cannabis items that were approved. Uh, the changes to the code will be effective on December 28th. And uh, just to let you know that the Commission's comments were transmitted to both the Law and Legislation Committee and to Council on that item. That's all that I have. Thank you so much, Director Cosgrove. We look forward to working with uh, Mr. Pace when he arrives. We'll go to the public hearing. We'll go to item number three, the Fair Deal Waste Recycling, P16-022. Um, any commissioners have any ex parte communications, want to recuse themselves from this item? I just realized there is something that I should announce, <laughs> that Jason Hone is um, the new senior planner for the South area so that you know that um, Jason is that that's why Jason will be sitting up here on the south items and uh, I'm so very happy that he's joined us it's a whole is it almost two weeks now as senior planner yep so um, but he has worked he worked for um, me as a planner before in the in the mid uh, 2000s and unfortunately in the big layoffs he had to go, but he came back and has worked in building, and he's here, and I'm so very happy to introduce him to you. Thank you so much, and welcome, Jason. Looking forward to working with you. Hello, Commissioners. My name is Michael Hanovit with the Community Development Department, and I'm here to present the Fair Deal Waste Recycling Project. It's located at 8191 Elder Creek Road. Um, the project site totals 3.66 acres and is currently a vacant industri industrial yard that was last used for construction material storage. The facility is conditioned for, to handle 450 tons per day before receiving their county and other state permits that are required for an operation of 
a larger size, they will be allowed to operate at 200 tons per day. The equipment that will be used for the operation will be at the interior of the site and is conditioned to be screened from view. The proposed project requires a conditional use permit to establish a major recycling facility and site plan and design review for minor site improvements. The staff has received a letter of support for the project with minor suggestions and feasible solutions were integrated in the project design. Staff has also worked extensively with the county through this process as well. The project is also noticed in the site posted 10 days prior to the hearing. And the project is also consistent with the general plan and the zoning for the area. City staff supports the project because it will divert solid waste away from area landfills and provide physical and operational means of reducing impacts on its surroundings. And that concludes my presentation and I'll hand it over to the applicant team for a brief presentation. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Shandet. I'm the owner of Fairdale Waste Recycling. Just like to thank everyone. Uh, I have 19 years in the industry, recycling industry, along with my father, 20 plus years operating a business in Sacramento City. A little bit about my business. I'm trying to have keep things out of the landfill, construction and debris, keeping California green, recycling things, making sure, making sure, just keeping. Things out of the landfill, like I said, and I'd like to thank everybody. If any questions, I have my consultant here that can hopefully answer it. Thank you, I somebody. Think. Thank you. Oh, hold, hold on, sir. I think we have one commissioner, two commissioner questions, comments. Uh, commissioner Fossil. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Welcome, sir. Just one. How many facilities does your business operate? Uh, we haven't opened up one. We're the we're the original owners of my father is of Sierra Waste Recycling. We build it from ground up proudly no violations in our operations while we managed it that business was sold a couple of years back by my father and I'm trying to do the same thing that's that's what I know for the past 19 years and um, so that will be the only business I'm doing now fair deal waste recycling understood thank you sir thank you mr. chair thank you commissioner Wong calling uh, mr. chair I have a question for staff so I'll wait okay Th thank you sir thank you commissioner Wong calling okay um, so my question is, uh, uh, as, as we talked about before via email, so the last project, uh, Florin uh, Perkins, and they proposed very similar with what they are proposing. They will have diesel engine, engine to uh, grind up the wood uh, and also concrete um, construction debris. And then at that project, that's in a hundred acre of uh, land field, and in the middle of it, they have this facility and the requirement was a 10-foot berm all around with the trees on top to block the noise. So in this location, it seemed like there's uh, the surrounding business is a lot closer. And um, the neighbor, the closest the residential uh, is uh, 300 feet away versus in the last project is 1,000 feet away. But the noise, it seemed like the declaration is saying that uh, uh, eight foot wall, uh, eight foot tall wall uh, will be sufficient. So I have some question regarding the noise study. Um, digging through the the ESR uh, specifically for the noise. So I wonder if uh, um, <coughs> Dana could help me to understand a couple of things. 
Uh, good evening. My name is Dana Mahaffey. I'm an associate planner in environmental planning, and um, we have the environmental consultant here as well <clears throat> who can help answer the noise. Um, just from background on the floor and Perkins site, um, that was a very large uh, couple of parcels, and um, the impetus behind doing the berm and the trees was more of a visual because Stonebridge was going in next door or adjacent to the property and they didn't want the visual as well as noise. So it wasn't so much about the noise as visual um, concerns that they had. Okay, so, okay. okay. Um, I, I don't doubt that. That's a, um, uh, so for the ESR report, yeah. what I understand that the approach is um, you establish the ambient noise level from the traffic at that area is about 68, 70. And then on top of that, uh, instead of doing an independent analysis of uh, the noise generated by the diesel engine, you use the reference from the Sierra waste. And from that measurement is when that machine is running 75 feet away, uh, the noise level is 80, 84 decibel. Mm -hmm. So this 84, does that... Uh, Okay, I also searched that uh, these two sites, the Sierra Waste and the site that we are considering today, yeah. are about a quarter mile apart, so it's very close to each other. Mm. Uh, so the 84, does that include the noise uh, from the traffic or not? I believe it does, but I can have Paul Miller help out with that. Okay, thank you. Thanks. You can stay up here, Dana. Oh, thanks. <laughs> help out with this. Uh, it, it actually included um, two pieces of mobile equipment on the site and the grinder all in one location. So that particular measurement was putting all the equipment in one location at one time, which is a very conservative way to make that measurement. And uh, Okay, so worst-case scenario. And the 84, does that include the traffic noise or not? No, it's not the traffic noise. It includes noise that's much louder from, from the on-site loader and uh, 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 a front-end loader at the site and the grinder, okay. which is louder than any of the traffic noise, either, either on the streets or inside the property. Those are the loudest noises that would occur. Okay, so if it does not include the traffic, then uh, 84... Uh, 84 is from the, the engine, from the grinder, uh, plus the 70 from the traffic. Well, that's very loud. They don't get added together. When, when your decibel levels are more than five apart, 80, 84 plus 70 equals 84. You can't even, you, you don't add them up at that point. It's imperceptible at that level. It's only, if you have the same noise level, 70 plus 70, two sources that do 70, that gets added up to be 73. It's the logarithmic way that you add up noise. So the log difference between 84 and 70, 84 is the big number. And 70, when you add 84 plus 70, you get 84. I see. So if that's logarithmic the, addition. Okay. If that's the case, uh, 84, let's just say that's the worst case scenario when they run all the machines together at one location. And then for this proposed site, 75 feet away, that's 84 decibel. And um, 
you use that an average to throughout the, the day, 24 hours, and use this to compare to in that, that industrial area what's the maximum allowed. Is that how you determine it's acceptable? Well, yeah, the maximum allowed was according to the city area at at the nearest uh, location, and and they have a short-term measurement there. So, so it's it's the measurement, the L max measurement uh, would occur at the nearest residence. So that's what we looked at. If the 75 occurred, all that equipment operating at once, what would be the level at the nearest uh, residential receptor? Which but is 300 feet away, by the way. Yes, so I understand. From the equipment is within the site. If you can visualize, like where the equipment is, it's it's further north on the site, um, and the residential is south, so like 300 feet from even the property line, correct? Of Fair Deal. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, um, you're adding a lot of distance. And in the ESR, I thought there's another criteria based on the land use. There's the exterior noise level for the industrial. The noise level is 75 decibel. Is that correct? That's listed in. So then, uh, Y84 is acceptable. It's on the site. So right. we're looking at the boundary out, outside. Are, are you asking? Okay, maybe I'm confusing what you're asking. So. Well, uh, the the machine will when it uh, the grinder will generate 84. No, but the grind the grinder will not generate 84 during the during the noise test. They had the grinder and they took a couple pieces of equipment and ran those all at once to find out the maximum noise. I recently went to Sierra and went to the uh, the edge of the site and and the grinder was barely perceptible at at the edge of the site at Sierra at the, at the existing site. I misspoken, so not a grinder. It's the worst case operating scenario is 84. Right. And how would that be acceptable if the city criteria is 75? Because, because it would not be within 50 feet of the equipment. The equipment's interior to the site, and, and, the, equipment, and, the, and the site has solid concrete barriers right now on the outside of the site. So it's your opinion that uh, uh, if you're on the outside of the site, you would not experience anything greater than 75. Understand. So that's why it is uh, acceptable. It's outside of their wall. It's uh, less than uh, 75. Right. right. And that is because of the eight foot CMU wall. It, it, it's a six foot wall there now. Yeah. It's, uh, but I thought the staff conditioned it to be eight foot. Eight foot. And, and that was based upon visual. Eight foot is for visual, and it's it's if your needed, if needed. Okay, even six foot wall will block the sound enough to reduce to seventy five. Yes. yes, these okay. are solid concrete blocks that are. They're larger than this. They're larger than this. They're amazing concrete blocks that have been put up there at the site, but but the noise level and looking at Sierra, there have been no violations of noise at the Sierra site using similar equipment and similar process. Are they using electronic grinders or is it diesel? They were using, uh, they've used both. They, they originally used uh, diesel grinders. I don't know, I, maybe they have electric grinders. Three diesel and one electric grinders. Okay, let me ask you this. So that Sierra will be continue in operation while this one is uh, adding to the area. Is that correct? It's far enough away that the noise won't accumulate. 
It's a you, mile and a half, I believe. Is that, is that correct? Okay, so it will not. Uh, you can't. Uh, you can't hear Sierra from from the site, and vice versa. Okay, what I'm trying to get at, there's a, a business around it, so we're not, uh, uh, the noise will not uh, impact their operation when they're both uh, plants are in operation. That's, your under that's what you're saying. Well, uh, the, the other operations for much further away would not affect these facilities. It's surrounded by industrial, so like there's a trucking facility. And there's a FedEx in between. FedEx. They're not noise sensitive. Like they're not like a printing company or that sort of thing. That would be okay. Concerned about noise or vibration. Or okay. My last question uh, regarding the noise. So right next door is the bakery. So when the workers are working um, in the bakery, uh, would they hear the the noise that they? Uh, have the machine grinding the concrete or wood? Not inside the building, no. They were not? No. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I yield. Thank you so much, Commissioner Wong Connolly. Um, seeing no further commissioner comments or questions, we'll go to public comment on this item. Any public comment? Seeing none, uh, we'll close public comment. Um, we'll turn it over now for commissioner questions or actions. Commissioner LaFossa. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, I just want to follow up a couple things on the noise questions. I will say <laughs> thank you, Commissioner Connolly. Noise is the one thing that we do that I have the hardest time with. Um, staff, just remind me what the city code rule is on noise in this area. How many decibels from how many feet in what zone, whatever it is. And then just to get ready, my next question is going to be about the mitigation. Yes, yeah, so the uh, actually the mitigation monitoring plan has the standard as uh, 55 decibels of ambient noise, which the um, which with the mitigation proposed it does not exceed. I'm sorry, could you be a little bit more clear? This the 55 decibels from a distance I couldn't hear which you cited from the mitigation, What's and the I didn't ambient? understand the source of that 55 decibel number. Is that, is that out of the city code? Not sure that that's... Asking about the mitigation measure, sir? Actually, I'm starting, I'm trying to start with the city code. Are, are you from the applicant, sir? Are you representing the applicant? Um, you don't have to. I'm just asking who you represent. Yes, yes. That's okay. Okay. And my first question was, what does our city code say? What is the standard, noise standard in our city code for this particular parcel? Uh, it, it was in Table 7 of the initial study, and they have it for an L max, the maximum 75, and then during the daytime at the, at the nearest residential or agricultural zoned property, and then 70 at nighttime. The uh, maximum, and I 
And then there's a whole series of the reason. There was some kind of study in the right. near future that it, it, was a mitigation, and, that, and that's it, what I, I wanted yeah, a foundation and, for my. And that went down to 55, which is a half an hour standard. Over a half an hour, the average drops to six, 55. Uh, have to do a test for that 55 standard, and if they don't meet that 55 standard, they have to do additional mitigations correct. to make sure that standard applies. That's correct. There's a mitigation measure to that extent, yes. Okay. That was my question. Thank you, sir. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Uh, seeing no further commissioner questions or comments or no public comment, is there any commission action on this item or motions or... Further questions? There's no public comment. Commissioner Kova? I'll move the staff recommendation. Second. Fantastic. Thank you, Commissioner Kova. We have a motion from you, a second for Commissioner Kaufman. We'll go with a roll call vote. Commissioner LaFaso? Aye. Coville? Aye. Kaufman? Aye. Lindsay? Aye. Farrell? Aye. Lucky Bomb? Aye. Rogers? Aye. Juan Connolly? Aye. E? Aye. Ogilvy? Aye. Vice Chair Lucian? Aye. Chair Burke? Aye. Motion passes. Thank you. We'll go now to item number item number four, Natomas Meadows East, P17-047. Um, any commissioner ex parte conversations or recusals? Commissioner Yee. Thank you. Uh, I had a meeting with the uh, applicant's representative, and we only spoke of items that are contained in the staff report. Thank you. Commissioner Pockybaum. Same. Thank you. Commissioner Wong Conley. Uh, met with uh, the um, applicants and uh, request uh, uh, follow-up on the feasibility study of a condo project versus a single family and then ask for uh, similar projects they have built uh, with a similar size and um, scale. Thank you. Commissioner Vice Chair Lucian? Uh, met with the applicant to discuss uh, details contained in the staff report. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Kaufman? Same. Thank you. Commissioner Colville? Same. Thank you. Commissioner Ogilvy? Same. Thank you. Commissioner Rogers? Same. Thank you. Commissioner Farrell? Same. Thank you. Commissioner Lindsay? Um, I was at a community meeting where this uh, project was presented. Uh, I had a, a meeting with the applicant and conversations with District 1 staff. Thank you. Commissioner LaFossil? Thank you, Mr. Chair. I've met with the applicant and its representative. Thank you. And I also met with the applicant and, and the representative all contained in the staff report. Mr. Hannibut. Thank you, Chair Burke and members of the commission. Again, I'm Michael Hannibut with the Community Development Department, presenting the Natomas Meadows East project located within the Natomas Place PUD at 1620 Scarlet Ash Avenue. The site totals approximately 6.1 net acres and is currently vacant land with some existing street improvements. The project is a subdivision of 94 single-family units private lanes and paseos. The new homes include three different styles available for four different four plans. The designs include a mix of front-loaded and alley-loaded homes with em emphasis on prominent front entries. 
The homes are conditioned to provide quality materials throughout, with the, pro with the project also providing the north-south paseo through the middle of the site, allowing easier access to the streets and nearby park site. The proposed project requires a tentative map with deviations to allow non-standard elbow and non-standard street design. Site plan and design review for the tentative map with deviations for lot size and lot depth and site plan design review for the new homes with deviations for lot coverage, front setbacks, rear yard setbacks, and front setback paving. Staff has reviewed the project's requested deviations in design and urban form and finds it to be compatible with the surrounding neighborhood. Staff has received letters of support from the project from various groups with minor suggestions for the project, and all feasible solutions were integrated into the project design. The project is also noticed and posted 10 days prior to the hearing tonight. To conclude, staff supports the project as conditioned because it is consistent with the goals and policies of the general plan, PUD, and zoning. The project provides quality design and articulation of materials and colors for each home, faces prominent front entries to the public streets, and provides a unique pedestrian facility for residents within the community. And that concludes my presentation. Staff is available for any questions. I'd like to hand it over to the applicant team for a brief presentation as well. Good evening, Mr. Chair and uh, members of the Commission. Gregory Thatch, and it's my privilege to represent TriPoint uh, tonight. Uh, I will say that the bird greeted me as I walked in tonight, but I'm clean now. Um, a lot of blackbirds out there. Um, TriPoint is uh, new to our region, but they are making a, a major presence known in our region. I think you'll be hearing a lot more about them in the days and months ahead. I do have people with me tonight. I have Mike McMillan from TriPoint. Tom Lemon from TriPoint, Scott Ashluck from PlaceWorks, uh, John Zelmer from RJA, RJA Engineering, David Orbitz from KTGY Architects, and Ryan Hooper from my office. So whatever I can't answer, hopefully all of these gentlemen can answer for you. We're very pleased tonight to bring, you a pro to bring a project forward that respects the prescribed density for the project while providing a type of marketable, quality, single-family detached housing that does not otherwise exist in North Natomas. I should say at the outset that we agree with all conditions. I also want to say that this project is consistent with the general plan, consistent with the North Natomas community plan, consistent with the PUD, consistent with zoning. We have asked for no changes in those. I will tell you it is challenging to take a site like this with this zoning on it, with these density levels on it, and to provide single-family residential. It was an exercise that took some considerable effort. I will also say, from my perspective, it was kind of a fun one uh, to be able to put this together. So the project that we bring you tonight has units ranging from 1,600 square feet to a little over 2,000 square feet. All of these units have two-car garages. All have private outdoor space. There are three elevations or architectural styles. There are four floor plans. The materials used are going to be a little different than what we have seen in Natomas, providing some real variety and some color. Um, the perimeter units all face the streets. Some of these, by the way, have a fourth bedroom downstairs. Um, the, there is a paseo uh, that Michael talked about. That paseo is lit. 
It's landscaped, and the units that are along the Paseo have their courtyards uh, oriented to the Paseo uh, for, I think, greater eyes on that Paseo. There will be an HOA for this project. That HOA will maintain the front yards, the roads, and the open space. Uh, there is guest parking. This is parked over code, and there is guest parking, and we have also been working with city parking enforcement uh, with respect to restricted parking on the perimeter of the project that would allow at least overnight parking only for residents of this project. Uh, we're very proud of the project that we bring you tonight, and we're grateful for staff. It was really a collaborative effort with staff to put this together. I think we all learned a lot, a lot of good ideas, and what we bring you tonight is something, as I said, that we're very proud of. With that, Mr. Chair, I would close and entertain any questions. Thank you so much. Any commissioner questions? Uh, Commissioner LaFosso, then Commissioner Lindsay. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Three quick questions. Thank you for being here, Mr. Thatch. Um, one of my colleagues made reference to perhaps having drilled down on one of the issues more so than I did, but I was going to take it high level. When the condo project that is the current set of entitlements, which as an aside, I'm going to hope staff will provide that stuff in the future so we understand the, pros, the, the comparison. Do you think that condo project was feasible for marketing when it was approved in 2006? Well, that's a personal opinion, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer you as best I can, which is maybe in 2006 when we were in the very height of a market that we will probably never see again. Um, it may have, been, may have been viable, but the proof is somewhat in the pudding in that it wasn't built. Um, and even though we had a de facto moratorium out there for a period of time, uh, that project never did get built, and there is no interest. And Mark, we've conducted market studies. Uh, as staff will tell you, when we first walked in on this project, we were talking about condos of one type or another. Um, but frankly, after looking at the market information and also being cognizant of what the community wanted, it really had to be single-family detached residential or it simply wasn't going to pencil. I appreciate your answer, and it's not a trick question. Second question, is this parcel subject to a development agreement? To a development agreement? Yes, it is. And third question, this is the easy one. Uh, apropos to one issue we discussed, did you have the opportunity to recall that the density of the Creamery project was 15.6 units per acre? Which project? Creamery. Greenbrier? Creamery. Oh, the Creamery. Was that what it was? I, didn't, I did not have time to go look in 15.6. Well, that's just about what this one is. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Commissioner Lindsay? <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, my first question was the question that Commissioner LaFosso asked, so I thank you for your explanation from going from a condominium project to single-family homes. But um, could I ask you to elaborate a little bit more on the parking issue? Sure. Um, these single-family homes don't have driveways long enough to accommodate a car parking in them and their private streets, so there's no parking on the streets. And so can you... Sure. Talk about. I can. Okay. They all have two-car garages. There will be CC&Rs on this project. Those CC&Rs will require that all units uh, use those garages and do not park in the guest parking that is on the site. There is guest parking on the site, uh, but it was really at the councilwoman's suggestion, Councilwoman Ashby, 
that we also went to parking enforcement. Um, and uh, it, it really was a, a very, I think, a good idea because they are prepared. It, we, we first have to have the project approved and built, but they are prepared <laughs> at that point in time to support restricted parking on the street. Mm -hmm. The exact nature of that I don't think we know, except that it would only permit residents to use that parking overnight. Uh, and it will probably be similar, I would guess, to Midtown mm -hmm. um, type of parking. Um, they were very positive uh, about that. And uh, as I said, I thought it was a very good idea. Interestingly, they also offered that under contract, parking enforcement would enforce the parking within the project, even though they are private roads. Uh, that would be done by contract, as I said, and that is something that we are going to do. So those parking permits then would be handled through the HOA? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. I yield. Thank you, Commissioner Lindsay. Commissioner Ogilvie? Um, just one question. Um, you mentioned all of the courtyards along the Paseo face the Paseo for an enhanced eyes on the street. What's the height of the fencing and what's the material of the fencing there? Fencing is wood fencing. How tall? Six feet. Okay. So there's really no visual access from within the courtyard to the Paseo? Certainly not for me. Um, but maybe for some people they could, they could see above that. But no, there would, the, but you would hear, you would have etc. And it was staff, I think, that really encouraged us to turn those so that they would be oriented to the Paseo. And that's, frankly, at the beginning we had some concerns about that, but we were able to do that and make it work. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvie. Seeing no further Commissioner questions or comments, we'll go. Thank you, Mr. Thatch. Thank you, Mr. Chair. We'll go to public comment. Um, any public comment on this item? Please feel free to fill out a comment card, return to the Commission Secretary. Um, seeing no public comment on, com on item number four, we will close public comment. Um, uh, will Commissioner Wong Conley have any? Oh, can I ask you a question? Sorry. Uh, so about the, I want to follow up with uh, Commissioner uh, Olivier's question. Um, is it possible to instead of make it a wood fence, solid fence, which is uh, pretty much no visual at all for most people, uh, can you make it a, um, like a the metal uh, railing, um, like a rod iron? Rod iron. Would, would, that be, uh, would that be a good idea? Um, a lot of midtown, like a adjacent to along L Street, that's that's how they do the front yard. Is a rock, uh... I think the the simple answer is no. Um, these are people's private yards. This is their living space, um, and I think like most of us, if we're having a dinner party, or we have children playing in our yard. Uh, whatever it is, you want some privacy. So it is that balance between the privacy to the homeowner and having that open um, for eyes on the street. I think we have made a major compromise to get there, but I do not believe that it can be open fencing in that location. So that's really people's backyard when you say that they, they will have uh, eyes on the street, but that's the backyard. It's not the front of, this, of the it's, house. It is clearly the backyard. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Wong Conley. Um, Commissioner Lindsay? 
Thank you, Mr. Chair. I'd like to move the staff recommendations. Second. Thank, thank you, Commissioner Lindsay. We have a motion from Commissioner Lindsay and a second from Vice Chair Lucian. We'll go with a roll call vote after we um, have a question or comment for Commissioner LaFossa. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, just two sets of questions, one on layout, one on the big picture. Um, a apropos to Commissioner Ogilvie's and Wong Connolly's questions about the fence and the paseo, I, I guess I just want to be a little bit big picture, which um, the inference from Commissioner Ogilvie's question and the answer is a six-foot fence doesn't do that much for eyes on the street. And the Walk Sacramento letter, um, you know, makes some comments about eyes on the street. And we, we all understand that this is a, um, you know, this is a parcel of a certain size that was drawn for a different design uh, 11 years ago. Um, obviously, as Mr. Thatch alluded, a lot of um, challenges were thought through to sort of make this fit. Mr. Monaghan, your name was invoked as an inspiration for this solution. Um, I'm happy to hear from you or if you'd like one of your protégés to comment. But really what I want to hear staff tell a little bit more about is how they thought through the eyes on the street question and the pedestrian circulation questions given the space, the space we have and the choices they made and, the, and, the, and the, how they prioritized the result, the conclusion they got to. Yes, uh, we had discussed this with the applicant um, quite a bit. The project actually came to us without the Paseo idea, um, and it was um, through discussions brought it into the project. And uh, staff also had the same concerns um, about safety and, and such. And I think we, through the process, worked through um, a couple of iterations. Uh, we've prescribed that there be bollard lighting on there. there the homes include windows facing those um, those paseos. And so with those two things, um, we had also talked about the corners of the fences and those um, being a little more, um, have less vegetation, vegetation in those corners to provide you know a greater sense of security when walking through so um, through those discussions I think we've come to a, a reasonable solution um, in terms of again balancing privacy and eyes on the street apropos to this fence issue the most of the windows with the eyes in the street you're referring to are second floor windows that's correct okay. um, I will say I like the, the, I don't know what you call it, jagged offset nature of the, just, just not to belabor eyes in the street too much, but uh, Walk Sacramento thought that a lot of the frontages on the private streets focused on bedrooms. And again, I get the impression that it's a lot of front and rear facing windows given the tightness of the spaces between the homes. Most of the eyes are gonna be front and back, not side, except for the Paseos. Um, Walk Sacramento's comment was that a lot of the, a lot of bedrooms, on, and I think it's on second floors, face some of those streets. And you know how it is, you know, living room or better eyes in the streets and bedrooms, you know that concept. Any comment? I'll just say that um, when you're looking at the perimeter homes, the first level is the 
are the garages, and so the only opportunity to have windows on that side would be your second level. And the interior homes that have the garages at the front of the house, um, I can't, I'd have to look through the plans, but they may have um, on the ends, windows on the front, or sorry, on the side, providing that you know additional um, eyes on the street to the to those private lanes. Sorry, you mean the you mean the the I don't know what the, the site. There's streets. I don't have the right map in front of me. There's 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 the lateral streets, of which there are three. Excuse me, four, and then there's these two vertical streets. At least on my map, you're talking about the, when you say the side. You mean those those vertical streets? Correct. Okay. Um, I appreciate understanding. Again, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a it's an interesting space. You know, it actually does have some funny, uh, a funny issue we've seen in um, Central City on on predetermined spaces, which is why I indulged the creamery reference. But uh, my earlier comment when I was asking, talking to Mr. Thatch. And some of our other staff words, we do, we do get a sense of what the old plan was and we understand what we're changing from. Um, one thing I didn't know was what was the density of the, I believe it was 120 condo units in the old plan. I can infer it was probably 1920, not 15. I understand that the range is 15 to 30. Um, when we were talking about the um, the big picture general plan stuff last week. You know, we were all accounting for this question of all these very small decisions we make relative to, um, uh, you know, de-densifying this project, this project, this project, this project. I myself don't fully understand why we made all the decisions we made 10, 15 years ago, different economy, different environment, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm just, my, my question is how we deal with this question big picture. And in fairness to you all, I spent a good 33 minutes on the phone with Ms. Cosgrove, I think it was yesterday, and if you want to punt this question to her and she's okay with that, you might want to do that. But my question, as you recall, was do we track the big picture implication of, you know, tightening down the density on all these small projects? I believe your, your question uh, yesterday focused on do we keep track of the number of units that are reduced from what from a previously approved? In a global plan. sense, but re re it requires you to be micro-focused to get the macro number, but yes. Right. Uh, we don't specifically track that number. Um, I don't think we, in this particular case, would necessarily see it as a loss of um, units so much as as a project coming in that someone is able to build and, and can build on the site. Um, there are, uh, because of the economy, we've seen that citywide, but we do see it here in Natomas as well. And the commission has seen a number of those projects that have come back to remap uh, in, in order to bring a new product to market. Okay, no, I appreciate that. And it's not a gotcha question, and in full fairness, you also in our conversation, if I recall, suggested that there were parts in Natomas where they were building residential type product and originally commercially identified parcels. So it's it's not a it's it's a more complicated. I learned something very interesting that I thought was useful for my colleagues to understand. Um, I think you told me that when we 
adjust the density, the unit numbers in some of these projects. There's a method we have of recalculating how the, the fees work. I, I think that's instructive, and I wonder if you'd reiterate that for us. Um, there's a, a finance plan in place in Natomas um, that pays for all of the major infrastructure, um, and the fee amount is based on the acreage of the development and its community plan designation at the time that the finance plan was adopted. So uh, the amount that's paid is based on, it doesn't, it's not based on a per unit basis, it's based on acreage, so they would pay that same amount. Appreciate that very much. Uh, appreciate all the questions. Um, I'll be supporting the motion. Thank you so much, Commissioner uh, Lafaso. Uh, seeing no more public comment, no more questions from commissioners. We do have a second uh, motion and a second. We'll go with the roll call vote. Commissioner Lindsay? Aye. Farrell? Aye. Lucky Bomb? Aye. Rogers? Aye. Juan Connolly? Aye. E? Aye. Ogilvy? Aye. Hoffman? Aye. Oville? Aye. Lafaso? Aye. Vice Chair Lucian? Aye. Chair Burke? Aye. Motion passes. Thank you. Move right along. Uh, we'll go to item number five, the Franken Day Reporting Center, P17-043. Um, any commissioners who recuse themselves or had conversations and need to disclose it, uh, let me know. Uh, Vice Chair Lucian? Met with both uh, community members and the applicant. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Coughlin? Met with the applicant and applicant representatives. <coughs> Thank you. Commissioner LaFaso? Also met with the applicant and its representative. Thank you. Commissioner Wong Conley? Same. Commissioner Lindsay? I met with the applicant and the representative, and I had a conversation with uh, staff in Council District 5. Thank you. Commissioner Pluckybaum? Met with the applicant. It's consistent with the staff report. Thank you. Commissioner Rogers? Same. Thank you. Commissioner Yee? Same. Commissioner Ogilvie? I had a phone conversation with the applicant's representative and some correspondence with staff. Thank you. Commissioner Farrell? Met with the applicant and representative. Thank you. And, and I also met with the applicant and their representative. All, all the information we discussed is contained in the staff report. Mr. Norman? Thank you, and good evening, Chair Burke and members of the Pl Sacramento Planning and Design Commission. My name is Garrett Norman, and I am the project planner for the Franklin Day Reporting Center. Um, supplemental material was provided this afternoon. Uh, you should have all received a email um, and it's online as well and I have copies here if anybody needs one. This project is located at 7000 Franklin Boulevard and is within the light industrial or M1S zone. The proposed project is part of a larger five acre office park that includes a variety of professional medical offices and other similar services. The request before you this evening is for a conditional use permit to operate a correctional facility or federal parolee day reporting center in a portion of an existing 16,000 square foot building. No exterior modifications are proposed with this project. The requested project will provide adult participants who have committed federal offenses with treatment and programs to help with societal rehabilitation. Staff has received several comments from the community expressing concerns to the project's proximity to residential and schools and its potential for bringing additional crime to the area. 
Staff has considered the comments in our analysis and finds that the proposed project is located in a suitable area by being set within the existing office park and is further separated by Franklin Boulevard. The project has been conditioned to ensure a small and manageable operation by capping the maximum number of program participants to 50 and limiting the maximum number of participants allowed to visit the facility at any given time to 15. Additionally, the police department has reviewed the project and provided conditions that address physical and operational security. Staff supports the project because it is consistent with general plan policy by diversifying land uses in a centrally located area in Sacramento and is conditioned to require a good neighbor policy that requires continual interaction with the adjacent neighborhood and business associations. Staff recommends the Planning and Design Commission approve the project subject to the conditions of approval and based on the findings of fact listed in the staff report. And now I will turn it over to the applicant for a brief presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Rachel Kensler uh, with Geo Reentry Services. I'm the applicant on the project. And um, thank you for having us here. I want to introduce real quick, um, kind of in the back of the room, but they'll be coming forward, a couple of the other folks on our project team. Uh, we have Brett Jolly, who is a land use attorney that's been working with us on this application throughout the process, as well as Brian Cooley, who's a land use consultant that's been uh, out of Sacramento, who's been working with us throughout this process. And they may be speaking here as well. In addition, um, we have Lou Cox, who is a representative of the um, property owner uh, for this particular site that we're proposing. We were in front of this commission, in front of most of you here, in March of 2017 to determine if a, a conditional use permit would be required for, the day report, for a federal day reporting center. At that time, a determination was made that it would, so we submitted an application in July of 2017, and that's really what obviously brings us before you today. I won't go into too much detail on the specifics of day reporting center services only because we went into quite a bit of detail back in March and there is a lot of information provided not only in the staff report but in the supplemental uh, information that you received today. Um, but in essence, a day reporting center, and in particular this site that we are proposing, provides supportive services and programming for those who have been released from uh, federal correctional institutions and are being returned to their community of origin, which is in this case Sacramento, the Sacramento community. Day reporting centers provide that, that supportive services and programming includes employment readiness and linkage to um, employers who will work with our participants who have struggled because they may have a felony on their record and help them to find jobs and long-term sustainable careers. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which addresses their criminal thinking and helps them to change their behavior and make long-term better choices in their life well beyond uh, any period of time that they've been involved with the system. Uh, life skills programming and also family reintegration. We work with them. These are folks that are returning to their community of origin and to their families and may have, have hurt their families in the past from the standpoint of having to be away from them. So we work with them on how to engage with their families and, and build those relationships. The impetus for this specific project is um, a lack of reentry, a lack of a reentry center or programming within the Sacramento area. The nearest uh, communities where these folks are currently, who are who are living in Sacramento, returning to Sacramento on home confinement, 
those folks, the closest they can go to get reentry center programming is in either uh, San Francisco, Oakland, or Fresno. So as you can imagine, that can be pretty um, burdensome to them in trying to get there for their additional services. I want to also address that um, there has been some confusion around what what, do, what is home confinement. The folks that will be referred for this um, day reporting center are on are already on what's called home confinement placement. That means that they are living in Sacramento and that they are required to be on a very strict schedule around what they do. It does, however, not mean that they are confined solely to their home. These are folks already here on home confinement, which means they're going about their day. They're taking public transportation or driving wherever, wherever it is they would normally go. They're going to their jobs, their schools, their children's schools. They may be you know, going to work at the grocery store or the coffee shop or the bank. Um, and they go to their church and whatever to other community activities that they do. The difference here is that those schedules are um, provided to the federal agent who then says, okay, I'm going to randomly show up at some of these locations and verify that that's where you are. They may or may not be on 24-hour, seven-day-a-week electronic monitoring. That's uh, determined based on wherever they're contracting coming from, if they're coming from Fresno or San Francisco or Oakland. Um, but they are in the community. It is not something where they are imprisoned in their home. The participants in these programs are at the last four to six months of their time with the Bureau of Prisons. So they are very, there's a light at the end of the tunnel for them. And they are very committed to doing the work that it takes to be successful and making sure that they take advantage of the opportunity for programs like this um, while they're still available to them and while they are funded by the federal government. Um, one of the things that's also come up and I think it's important to address is how are these participants um, determined and referred to the program? What are those determinations? What types of um, uh, charges might they have? What have, what have they been convicted for? We as a provider cannot uh, make a blanket statement that would automatically say that we won't take this or that type of offense. These are all federal offenses. Typically, those involve um, fraud, um, some sort of internet crime, or, man, or, or uh, drug cases. Um, however, regardless of the type of offense, there are considerations that the Bureau of Prisons um, uh, follows when they're determining a referral for community placement. And those include that the participant is nearing the end of their sentence, that they are, that this is their, their community of origin, so this is where they were living, where their family lives, where their resource, resources are prior to going into the secure facility that they have demonstrated a record of long-term compliance of two years or more within um, a Federal Bureau of Prisons secure institution or some other community placement, that uh, they take into consider consideration public safety factors. So that includes um, the type of crime that that's there, that includes if there's specific gang activity. They can consider all of those things before they make a determination to, to refer a person to a particular program. They also consider whether or not it's a sensitive or high-profile case that may generate undue public concern. Um, if there's any history of escape or prior community placement failure, and what's the likelihood that the person is going to be able to be employed and be successful in their reintegration in the community. Uh, Geo reentry 
is uh, we've been doing this a long time. So we currently operate 22-day reporting centers just in the state of California alone, and we've been operating those here for more than 10 years and been operating day reporting centers across the country for more than 20 years. Additionally, we um, operate federal residential reentry centers in Southern California as well as in San Francisco and Oakland. Um, so we have a lot of experience working with this population. We have a lot of experience working with the federal government as well as in operating non-residential day reporting centers. We are a responsible tenant, neighbor, and community partner. In addition to adhering to all to the development of good neighbor policy and the other conditions set forth in the staff report, um, we also get involved in our community and contribute back to our community in other ways. So we will, at our programs here, create a community accountability board, which we've already invited some folks that are here to speak tonight. We've already invited folks that we've met with in community meetings and whatnot to, to please be engaged, and we welcome that input. And those are folks that may be neighbors, other community providers, law enforcement, school officials, who, whoever is an interested party that wants to be engaged in having a voice with the program, understanding what's going on, and hopefully helping our participants to be successful as well. Um, in addition to that, we often do special projects that may include community cleanups, volunteer activities, um, fundraising, projects, all sorts of, we've done gang awareness events coordinated citywide, um, or with, in particular districts, we've done um, sober events that, that uh, get the community involved in how to um, focus on pro-social activities that promote sobriety and clean living. So all of those are things are different activities that we would engage in with our community partners and our neighbors. Um, since we were last before you in March, we've done extensive community outreach, and Brian is going to go into it in more detail because he has the, the full list here. And that outreach includes not only um, PBIDs and uh, multiple community meetings, but also includes um, some outreach to the school district, which we know uh, has been a, an issue that's been raised and a question that's been raised. Thank you, Rachel. Members of the Chair uh, Burke, members of the Commission, Brian Cooley, Cooley and Associates. I'm a land use consultant assisting GEO recent entry with their application since the summer. Um, as Rachel indicated, we filed our application in July of this year. Um, following the submittal of our application, uh, we, we did do some extensive community outreach in the adjacent area to where the application is at. Uh, met with the uh, Florin Road Partnership, which is not the PBID that the uh, proposed site is in, but we, they're, they're very adjacent to the property. So we met with the Florin Road Partnership the Monterey Creek Homeowners Association, the Monterey Trail uh, Public Improvement District, uh, members of the Golf Course Terrace Neighborhood Association, um, and um, staff of Council District 8 and District 5, as well as Council District uh, 2, uh, Alan Warren's office. Um, and then on September 13th, we held a community meeting at the proposed location at 7,000 Franklin to basically do an orientation of what a day in the life of the day reporting center looks like for the community. Um, we wanted to do it in the location that we were proposing so they could see where the classroom space would at, where the staff's offices would be at, um, how the participants would enter the facility and begin their day. Um, and then we did another community meeting, a much larger one, on October 11th at the Pinnell Community Center, and there was approximately 50 members of the community from District 8 and District 5 present at that meeting. Um, and that was in concert with your uh, community outreach department here in the city of Sacramento. And so that, that information was put pretty far and wide. 
Um, I wanted to address one specific comment letter, which is in your staff report, and there was an email that you may have received uh, late this afternoon from the Essex City Unified School District regarding their opposition to the application. Um, if you look on the comment letter dated September 12th, on the second paragraph, it references um, a Sacramento County Office of Education and Probation uh, Day Reporting Center for Juveniles um, in the past. And the letter basically makes a distinction between um, a previous juvenile day reporting probation center in this same uh, area of, of 7,000 Franklin as opposed to an adult day reporting center, which we're proposing. Um, the letter also talks about um, individuals on home confinement uh, basically uh, coming in contact with school students and coming to the 7,000 Franklin area. Those two items are factually incorrect from the proposal. The previous day reporting center that was in 7,000 Franklin was a County of Sacramento adult day reporting center which served approximately 200 participants. Um, in addition to that, we wanted to clarify what the home confinement um, criteria actually means as, as Rachel just identified. And so we, on a number of occasions since the letter came in uh, September 12th, we attempted to reach out to the school district uh, via written communication and had several calls with uh, board members that represent that trustee area, trustee uh, Michael Minnick and, and trustee Mai Vang, as well as board president Jay Hansen. Uh, also reached out to the school resources officer that staffs the school district on these kinds of issues, these kind of planning issues. And we weren't able to sit down to really articulate the proposal and to clarify these points in the letter. And so we were a little bit surprised to see uh, the district reaffirm this letter in the email that you got this afternoon. So um, our land attorney, Brett Jolly, is here to kind of go in a little bit more detail on the elements that were factually incorrect in the school district's letter. Uh, but I wanted to give you some sentiment of the community outreach that we've done since July in submitting the application. And we're here to happy to answer any questions you may have about additional community outreach that occurred. So thank you. Good evening, Chair Burke, members of the commission. Uh, my name is Brett Jolly. Address is uh, 3031 West March Lane uh, in Stockton. I am land use attorney for GEO and have worked with them on this project and many others over the years. Uh, just to briefly address uh, our understanding that this afternoon the school district had sent in uh, a brief email reiterating the concerns raised in their letter. Um, as, uh, as Mr. Cooley set forth for you uh, in, in a fairly um, kind way. Uh, there have been numerous attempts to get in contact with and discuss the school district's concerns beyond just this letter. And, and those have not uh, been fruitful on our end despite numerous attempts to do that. And getting this at 4.30 before the meeting tonight uh, from the school district saying, uh, go back and look at our, our concerns from three months ago. That's not the way the land use process is supposed to work. Um, they, they haven't uh, met with us to talk about these issues so we can better understand them and address them. Uh, they haven't sent any representatives to show up to any of the outreach, at least that identified themselves as representatives of the school district. Um, they were not willing, apparently, according to their email, to send anybody to this meeting tonight and instead uh, just launched uh, a last-minute letter saying we have these concerns. Really looking at the concerns in the letter themselves, they are not material. Uh, as Brian pointed out, the, the major crux of their concern is that uh, this project will create some sort of 
uh, uh, some sort of nuisance or danger to the community. Um, the fact is, and we've pointed this out, that there was a, a similar use of a much higher uh, volume, 200 or more participants being served at the county day reporting center at this very location. We have a, uh, a proposal for 30 with a cap over several years of 50 at the max. And we have reached out into the community and said, when the county operated this higher volume uh, uh, day reporting center at this location, what problems did the community experience? We'd like to understand that so that we could address that. And nobody has given us any substantive answer of what problems actually occurred. Most people didn't even know that the day reporting center was there. And so the county's response that it wasn't the same use because it was a juvenile day reporting center um, is incorrect. It was an adult day reporting center. This is shown on the, the county uh, probation website. Uh, there's no dispute about the fact that there was a day reporting center. That is just an incorrect fact. Um, it's one of those facts that we wanted to bring to the school district's attention and meet with them and explain, but again, we haven't been able to. But looking at the, uh, the project as a whole um, and all of the work that staff has done on this, and my compliments to, to Mr. Norman, he's done a very good job on this. He's kept us informed uh, and really tried to be responsive to comments that were received by the community. Um, I really think this is an appropriate location for this use. On the 17th, this uh, commission had a, an application for a similar use up in uh, the rail yards area, and there was substantial discussion on the importance of bringing reentry services to this community. There is a dearth of reentry services, and these folks need these services, and staff recommended against approving that project because of its location and its conflict with uh, the planning and design policies for the area, but staff has looked at our site and said, this is an appropriate site for this use. We need this use, so we would encourage the commission to approve this project tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Um, for anyone of the members of the public who are here for this item uh, and would like to speak, there are comment cards in the back. Please uh, fill out the comment card uh, and return to the commission secretary. Um, we have some commissioner questions, comments. But before we go to that, I just want to um, announce that for item five, the two issues that we're making a decision on tonight is the environmental exemption under CEQA and the conditional use permit. And that's what we're here to decide tonight. Uh, Commissioner Kaufman. Thank you, Chair Burke. Um, two questions. One for Sergeant Juan. <clears throat> Hello, sir. Thank you, Sergeant. I'm curious about whether you have any information about incidents related to the previous day reporting center in the area. No, I don't have any facts about that. Um, I, that property in general has been a little bit blighted from our perspective. Uh, I had some, uh, maybe three years ago when I first came to this job, I had uh, some complaints from patrol about that. And so uh, we did do an analysis of the entire property, and I incorporated some of that analysis into my uh, conditions for this property, and I'm hoping, actually, that it improves the property in general. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Um, question I have for the applicant. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the accountability board? 
who's on it? Is there some minimum prescription for groups that should be represented on it? How big is it? How often does it meet? How does it conduct business? If you have an example of something that's sort of come up through that sort of board and then been resolved, I'd like to hear an example of what that might be. That's a good question. And I, I so the boards themselves are met, they meet quarterly. The composition of the board, uh, we have a fairly broad, um, can, can approach it with a fairly broad range of interested parties. Um, we have some other folks here operationally who may be able to fill out a comment card and address, give you some specific examples. Um, but uh, we've got, you know, we can, we welcome sort of the big tent. The bigger, the bigger the board, the more input we have on what's working, what's not working, what are some things that we can do to um, really best support the, the population. Um, so in relation to the board, you know, that's really that piece of it. They do meet a minimum of quarterly. I will tell you that there are some programs where the board is really active and really engaged. A lot of our programs have been around where we have community accountability boards. The programs have been around for 20 or 30 years. And so, as you can imagine, with, without issue, oftentimes, unless we are asking for a reconsideration or, or something of our CUP, uh, neighbors and folks don't even know that we are there. Um, we are not a nuisance business by any means. Um, and that's for programs that are much larger than the one we're proposing here. Um, but sometimes then the, the attendance or the participation, the engagement wanes a little bit because it's been a non-issue for so long that we are then struggle to try to get more folks engaged. But we like to have uh, members of law enforcement, of the federal agencies that we're serving, um, uh, local community leaders, uh, uh, other folks that work with our population that are providers in the area, um, folks, uh, public defender's office, um, uh, human services agencies, all of those uh, folks represented as well. Neighborhood association. Neighborhood association, yeah, EBIDs, mm -hmm. all, you're open to all of that. Yes. All righty, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Commissioner Kaufman. Commissioner Yee. Thank you. Uh, questions for the applicant? I'll just stay standing. <laughs> uh, you have mentioned um, our, the hearing we had March. Yes. So. so this is a response to a federal request, and it is for a pilot program. Is that correct? That's correct. And so this type of program does not currently exist at all or, or does not exist in this community? It, so there are currently no reentry centers serving the federal agencies or folks that are just as involved individuals with the federal government in the Sacramento area at all, as I mentioned. This is um, the, historically the, the Bureau of Prisons has tr addressed reentry by doing residential reentry programs and attempted to put out a procurement, attempted to locate one in the Sacramento area uh, a few years ago, about five years ago, and they were unsuccessful. Um, day reporting centers themselves as a concept have been around for a long time, but the Bureau of Prisons has just not traditionally done that type of program. They've either been in a residential program or they get done and they transition to home confinement, but that home confinement um, is then without these additional uh, supportive services or the increased accountability that comes with checking into a center and meeting with staff um, anywhere from three to seven times a week. Okay, so um, you mentioned home confinement. Um, 
And I believe that your, your description of home confinement is that it is not confinement to a location, but is accountability and approval of a schedule of events with random checks on whether the participant is adhering to that schedule. Um, you also mentioned electronic monitoring. So how, is the, how does that work with the schedule of approved outside activities outside of the home mm -hmm. which the person is assigned It enhances to. that that accountability and that monitoring. So the um, the random checks and the schedule are still there, but what this will do is everyone who's referred into this program will receive electronic monitoring. And what that means is there will be 24-7, even when they're not in the program, there'll be 24-7 monitoring of are they where they need to be, where are they at, and what are they doing. Okay, so everyone that is monitored by whom? If this pro project is approved, then we would do the monitoring, and then we have staff who uh, we have a staff monitoring center that would monitor them after our business hours close at 9 p.m. So the monitors are in effect 24-7. As long as that person's in the program, regardless of whether they are physically in your facility That's or correct. not, they're monitored. That's correct. Okay. You used the word release, and then there were some other comments after that these participants have not completed their sentence that's correct so in release that means that they are out of a, of another type of correctional facilities and assigned to this but they are still under it's some just, sort of sentence yes so are they on probation or is this just transition they are um either under Typically, in this program, they will be under the jurisdiction of the Federal Bureau of Prisons, or they may be under the jurisdiction of the uh, U.S. Probation Office. You had also mentioned a variety of offenses, um, I think fraud, drugs, and such. Uh, any convictions for violent offenses? There could be convictions for violent offenses. Um, that's not something we typically see. And on the rare occasion where we may see someone whose conviction involved um, some sort of violence, that would only be if they'd met all those criteria that I listed by the Bureau and been deemed suitable for community placement. You are serving, this program serves what geographic area? Um, the procurement requires that the site be within the city limits of Sacramento. Uh, however, the participants could be um, also located in the surrounding uh, communities. So how do the participants get to your facility? A couple of different ways. Um, so they are, they may take public transportation if what they're already doing while they're on their home confinement and they don't have a vehicle, then if they take trans, uh, public transportation to get around now, they may take public transportation then to get to our program. Um, or uh, for these folks, they are required to be working within 30 days of being in the program. So um, they may also then uh, have a vehicle and choose to drive to the program for or those, have family bring them to the program. For those who are using public transit, what is the public transit opportunities near this location? Not a good judge of distance, but I can tell you that the nearest um, bus transportation stop is actually just one building over. It's probably a couple hundred feet um, from the door of this day reporting center. There is um, um, other public transportation. I think there's a park and ride and, and a train um, within about a light rail within about a half mile. 
Half mile? Yeah. yeah. Um, also. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. Uh, question from Commissioner Wong Connolly. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. So to follow up on uh, the question I asked about uh, providing specific profile of the federal offense um, offenders who lives in the region, Sacramento region, who would be potential your participate, were you able to identify? Uh, uh, could you provide me with the data? Well, we, we weren't. That information is not something we would have as, as a provider or someone bidding this. That would be something that the, the Bureau would have. However, um, uh, it's available on the Bureau's website as well um, and on the U.S. courts that um, the most common um, federal cases and federal offenses include um, drug cases, uh, fraud, Internet, et cetera. Well, I understand common. I, I just want to know that uh, we have 100 male uh, fraud and then uh, 10 uh, child pornography. Yeah, I don't have that information. That would be something that the, the federal government would have. Okay. And you mentioned that uh, um, there are two sites operating, uh, one in Oakland, one in San Francisco. It's contract with the Bureau. And um, for the one in uh, San Francisco, has a 0.5% participate eventually or readmitted uh, because of the new crime. And they then, were, yeah. We, so uh, what you're referring to is yes. In our in our San Francisco program over the last two years, we've had, and that program, those both San Francisco and Oakland are much larger than this facility, and they're residential reentry centers. Um, in our San Francisco program, we have had 0.5% of our residents that were arrested. Um, for some sort of new charge. Um, and then in Oakland, that's 1%. One point, so 1 are those two yeah. programs in the urban setting, like uh, uh, what uh, you are proposing here, also in the urban oh, setting? Oh, yes. And in fact, um, our San Francisco program is right down in, um, in the Tenderloin District, which is really right down in that sort of downtown San Francisco area. I see. Very, very urban, lots of activity. Were they uh, arrested in the vicinity uh, of your facility in these two locations? Well, in that case, um, because there were new charges, they were physically arrested at the facility. Um, typically, uh, we don't run into, it's not a matter of, uh, quite frankly, oftentimes they're not going to commit an offense right there at the facility. We know them. We see them. We can easily identify them and would, um, and they would then face return to uh, prison. So we don't run into that a lot. Now, they are challenging neighborhoods oftentimes because, as you can imagine, trying to, to cite a location um, uh, for a federal residential program um, can be, well, any type of residential program um, working with justice-involved individuals can be very challenging. So sometimes they are challenging neighborhoods in and of themselves, but it's not, a, there's not been an increase in uh, calls to police or crime in those neighborhoods because of our presence. So 1% or 0.5%, they were arrested in your facility, but the crime was not uh, uh, committed at your facility. Correct. But it's they were residents of our facility, so that's where they would have been. That's where they were arrested. I see. And that's really random area that has nothing to tie to your day reporting center over there. That's to your knowledge. Yes. Okay. Um, and then talk about uh, to me about the security on site. Do you have a security on site? So typically, um, in all of our programs, save I think maybe one in, in the Midwest, we, um, our, our programs are what are called staff secure. 
So um, they are, we have cam video cameras, um, and that's one of the conditions in this particular um, uh, staff report and project. Uh, security cameras, um, they have alarm systems and panic buttons. Um, and then staff are trained in, in de-escalation skills. I can tell you having done this for almost 20 years, I've never had an, a situation where I was felt physically or was physically threatened. Our commitment and in working with our participants is that they will, and they will tell you this themselves, that they have never been treated with as much dignity as respect as, and respect as they are when they come into our program. And we really focus on they're there because they want to be successful. These aren't the folks that are coming there resist, you know, saying, oh, I don't, I don't want to do this. They, they may be cranky when they first come in the door, um, especially because it's a lot, a lot expected of them. But they, um, but they're constantly, we're working with them to assess them, to focus on what's important to them, and to keep reminding them that the reason that they're there and the reason they're putting in the hard work to do this and to not go back to criminal behavior is because they want to reunite with their families or they want to feel successful or they want to be a contribu contributing member of society. Appreciate what you said. So uh, the staff secure system, so they don't, the staff is not uh, uh, carrying the weapon, no, so they not. are uh, trained to uh, de-escalate. And then would they, would they be able to also secure to make sure that uh, the, in the business park area that uh, it's, uh, there won't be any nuance because of uh, uh, participate? So as I mentioned, they'll be on electronic monitoring. They're on a strict schedule. So they're exp all of our participants in all of our programs, even when they're not on electronic monitoring, which is the case for most of the day reporting centers that we have in California. Um, they are expected to, to leave the property, leave the grounds, um, and they are held to that. There's no loitering, um, and they're expected to leave the grounds immediately. And in this case, they're monitored, and they're supposed to go uh, follow whatever is on their approved schedule for the day. Uh, so if I understand correctly, they're assigned to one hour uh, for this program, and then they get here doing the, uh, to finish the program, and then they need to immediately uh, leave and then get to uh, wherever their they are supposed to be. They cannot uh, uh, wander around uh, to the surrounding area, go to the school or different correct. area. That, that is not allowed. That is correct. Okay, that's uh, uh, helpful to know. And I think uh, I have a question for Surgeon Wang. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Hello. Thank you for being here, Surgeon Wang. So, um, to follow up with uh, uh, Commissioner Kaufman's question, so you don't have data for this particular location, uh, the previous operating, but um, through the staff work, I understand that there are uh, three uh, day reporting center currently contracting with the county, central, south, and north. So do you, can you share some insight? Um, those facility, is there any uh, increase for new? Yeah, so yeah, I'm sorry about that. I was not able to, uh, to look into that, I have been otherwise occupied at work the last couple of days. So uh, I believe one or two of the three that that you had mentioned in an email that we were uh, talking about maybe two days ago, uh -huh. I think one of them, at least one is in the city limits, and I'm not sure about the other two. So uh, I would have some access to that data. Um, if it's in the county, I wouldn't have access any more than, than a regular citizen would have. I see. Uh, within, I don't know. You do not know. Within our city limit, is there any uh, day reporting center contracting with the state? You see, I, I don't know the answer. We didn't have, uh, 
we did not have any kind of list of these day reporting centers at all. Um, I think Mr. Norman came up with the list by calling the probation department, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't aware of any of those. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, I wasn't more helpful with that. Thank you. Appreciate your insight. So I uh, have a one question for the staff. So uh, the right now the limit is 50. If this is pilot program, and if they choose to expand it later on, what's the process? Do, do they come back to us or come back to staff to expand it? Uh, that is correct. They would um, come talk to planning staff, and we would evaluate um, what they're modifying and by how much, and then we would um, determine what level of review um, that modification would require. I see. And uh, what we are approving today is the uh, non-residential program. Is that correct? That is correct. So if they are to change to residential program, that's uh, they have to uh, do it over again. It has nothing to do with uh, the entitlement today. That is correct. That would be a new use. Okay. Thank you. Um, I yield. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Wong Conley. Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Just a couple brief questions. First for Sergeant Wan, if you'd come back, please, and then a few brief questions for Ms. Kinsler. Um, not much left after a couple other questions, but so um, when I read the conditions, they looked like a lot of the conditions I saw, lots of VAS. Um, I just wanted to hear from you as to whether there were any conditions that you found appropriate that maybe I hadn't seen before and I didn't notice when I was reading them? Sorry, I don't remember anything special. There was a couple of things that we talked about last March that we, we contemplated, I think, conditions among us during the hearing. And then in the application, I actually found those things as part of the application, so I didn't make an additional condition. So, for instance, I think one of the things we talked about was smoking and loitering out in front of the location and then in their application they mentioned that they don't allow that and so i didn't see fit to add another i thought that that was enough uh, that it was already in there okay that, that's okay um uh curious what your thoughts were to ms keensler's response to commissioner wong Connolly's question about sort of on-site security right so the question, I think, is leading to whether there should be a security guard or not on there. Um, I'm not pushing for anything. I'm just... <laughs> well, I'm trying to... Sorry, I'm not trying to oh, read it okay. too much. But, but uh, when, that's what came to my mind when uh, the commissioner asked that question. And I thought... Um, so we're talking about the level of, of people being the maximum of 50 and probably only about 30 and at a time only about 15, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly. And uh, that just doesn't seem like an unreasonable number to me for staff to be able to handle. I, I believe they're professional staff. I believe, like often uh, social workers that work in the criminal justice program work, they know how to talk. They know when to call for police if they need help. And so I, I really just thought that um, given the scope, the size of everything, that it was going to be probably okay with uh, the staff that they have. Okay, last question, and I, I think given your response to the earlier question about some other county or state facilities not and I, I assume as government operated facilities they're not subject to the city's CUP process meaning they haven't gone through the same kind of review but 
in the event that you had a chance to take a look at them in some context, were there any security measures you saw at those um, facilities that were in any way instructful, uh, in, instructive? I mean, either appropriate because you saw them, not appropriate because the facilities were different. Anyway, just trying to do my due diligence. Right. So what I think one of my biggest concerns, honestly, has been uh, with some of the places I have been aware of have been that uh, they've allowed loitering outside. Uh, so it's kind of a blight issue, and it kind of adds to the kind of blight of the area. Uh, the specific one I think we talked, maybe talked about was uh, River District, where there used to be a parole office there. And um, I thought that they, they're great people, but they maybe could have done better on their property. I think the conditional use permit and a private entity rather than a um, you know parole or probation, we can talk to and ask them for help and they have staffing issues just like we do. But with a conditional use permit, we have a lot more um, you know, oversight. Like you guys looking at it and us putting these conditions on where otherwise I wouldn't know what they have unless I encounter it somehow. Um, so I, I think it's, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what they do, honestly. I think they have a good program. Um, I'm not concerned about the loitering aspect. I think they're gonna handle that. And it's part of their, if you approve it, I think it's part of their use permit. And I also believe um, the applicant, when she says that we'll recognize people, if they're on the property doing something they're not supposed to do, I, I believe they will be held accountable in, within their program. Okay, thank you very much. Two quick questions, Ms. Kinsler. I think uh, you answered most of this, but when you made reference to the Los, excuse me, San Francisco and Oakland mm -hmm. programs, how many people do those two day reporting centers serve? So those are not day reporting centers. So the reason, um, as Commissioner Yee mentioned, that this is a pilot is because the bureaus never really jumped on board historically. And now they've recognized that, that, that there is some opportunity in there, here and they do, our day reporting centers are effective at reducing recidivism. Um, those are residential centers. Uh, the, both of them average um, about five, between 460 and a little over 500 residents annually. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, there are a lot of nuances in this federal program that's not in our jurisdiction. So, it, you know, my question is misfired. You, you know how to deal with that. But given the fact that we're talking about a population in a certain uh, uh, roughly eligible for this program, and I think you've generally described them as toward the very end of their federal criminal sentence. Mm -hmm. And then you, you described that, you know, there's other approaches to to serving these individuals. Um, can you just give me a ballpark as to your sense as to how many individuals are in that situation, roughly living in our city or our region? I don't, and actually uh, Commissioner, Commissioner Wayne Connolly asked this yesterday as well, and I don't have the answer because we are not the only um, uh, provider that's referring, and they may also be referred directly through the federal agency. I don't have a sense for um, what that number is. Um, my personal, unofficial sense of it is is that this uh, program would roughly probably be serving about 10, uh, 10 to 20% of that population as a pilot. But that's truly just my initial instinct. Okay, I appreciate your best attempt to answer my question. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner LaFaso. Vice Chair Lucian. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Sergeant Juan, if you might make your way up. 
I know it's your lucky day today. Um, <clears throat> first question, can you elaborate on the blight concerns at the location that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, so at the time that it was brought to my attention by patrol, there was a lot of kind of uh, what they perceived as a kind of homeless activity in the, in the location. Uh, when we went out and looked, there was uh, overgrown landscaping, a lot of uh, kind of evidence of, of uh, maintenance issues, lights that weren't working, uh, lights that were falling apart. In, at the structure in this location? In this entire kind of office complex that is 7,000 Franklin. Uh, the most poignant uh, memory is we took a picture of a security vehicle with the tire off had been abandoned on the property. It looked like the security vehicle, the tire off had been abandoned on the property. And so that was a poignant picture for me of what the uh, location was like. And, have, you, uh, have you driven by the location? Not lately, no. Okay. I work, well, I, have you ever seen it? Yeah, oh yeah, I've seen it. Okay. Um, in the evening, right, and, and I understand, and I, I believe I saw um, business hour conditions in the staff recommendations. I could be wrong on that, but irrespective of whether I'm wrong or not. In the evening, driving by the location, um, would you consider it uh, a well-lit facility or well-lit location? Uh, and when I say that, I mean not just within the structure that is on a relatively large lot, but the entire lot as a whole. Is it, is it well-lit? Is it, um, is it a, uh, um, a location that um, is, can be quickly analyzed by officers or does it, you know, does it, does it have some, I guess, visibility challenges, for lack of a better way to say it? Got it. So, uh, so forgive me for having not been there recently at night, but I did used to work down there quite a bit. I don't think that it's well lit. And I also think that part of the visibility challenge was from overgrown shrubbery and bushes. Um, I think that my conditions aim to fix those, er er those issues in relation to this specific area. And obviously, I hope that the landlord takes those conditions and says, hey, this might be a good idea for the whole, for the whole thing. Why don't we do that? All right. Um, okay. Um, can you talk to me? Because there... Um there was some discussion about recidivism rate um, and the the geo group uh, mentioning 0.5 and 1.0 um, that's it's pretty that's impressive uh, I think um, to your knowledge do, does the does the department or do, given that you you work in this law enforcement space are you familiar with the recidivism rate uh, for um, uh, former state offenders and or former federal offenders? So uh, I think I, no, yes and no. Okay. So, so the yes part is that in general, I believe that prison recidivism rates, recidivism rates are over 50%. I believe that's the case. That's just off the top of my head. I'd have to go back to some books and look it up, but I think we could find that fairly simply. I don't know specifically what the recidivism rates are for federal prisoners. And I also don't know that the statistic that she's talking about is exactly the way that we would count recidivism. I just don't know. In other words, is it recidivism after five years, after 10 years? 
Um, that's what I'd, wa I'd want to know. But I would say that as a criminal justice person, that 0.5% is very, very commendable if that's the right rate. Got it. Okay. Uh, I appreciate it, Sergeant Juan. Thank you. Thanks. If I may, Mr. Chair, uh, uh, ask the applicant if um, she might be able to come up and answer a couple of questions. Um, so my understanding overall, recidivism rate for state offenders, 76%. Recidivism rate for federal offenders, 44%. The history of your organization in California, I'm assuming, uh, you said 1.0.5. So Remarkable. to clarify, those are we don't have a way as a as a provider to track uh, recidivism after uh, folks leave our program, okay? Because we don't have access to that information, to the re arrest rearrest information. And what what is the what is the longest period of time that uh, in any of your programs to which this statistic refers? So this particular the statistic I mentioned there was for those for 2016 and all the way through year to date 2017 um, for those that were arrested on new charges while they were in involved in our program while they were in our program 2016 2017 and then what is I guess my real or the, my question more so was how long do they stay in your program what is the maximum amount of time. Uh, for this particular program, for the Federal Day Reporting Center, um, the maximum would be six months okay. um, or less, because that's what is left um, of their sentence at the point that they're put in. Understood. And 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 just for the to clarify for my colleagues, in in all fairness, um, my understanding of the recidivism rate uh, that I just cited uh, is a within five years of reoffending. Um, not within six months. So, well, and and to be fair, those you know those recidivism statistics do usually, as Sergeant Wanda mentioned too, they're usually within measured within three to five years. Uh, in California, they're typically measured uh, within three years. Some jurisdictions measure them based on uh, arrest. Some measure them based on conviction. Um, just as an example, while we don't have this information for the federal government, because to my knowledge they, have, they haven't worked with any of our programs to, to do a recidivism study, and since they would have access to the re-arrest information, our hands are tied on what we can do there. But in um, some of our county partners, as example, um, uh, our NAPA program, the recidivism rate, uh, three years out, um, and that is for arrest, not only conviction, but for arrest, is 26%. And we have another county program where it's as low as 14%. Very good. Um, okay, I you uh, I had a question regarding um, to the extent that you can la elaborate on it, the um, maybe one or more requirements in the request for proposals that you're um, seeking to place a bid on, as it relates to a statement that. Um, was made is is do you anticipate having up to 30 individuals or is it up to 50 the uh, contract the current procurement is for a contract to serve up to 30 individuals at any time okay. um, the maximum in case there was you know a request from the bureau once they do this pilot and say wow it really is effective we really like it we'd like to see if you could serve a few more and that's where the the maximum uh, within the recommendations was set at uh, up to 50 with no more than adding five per year. Um, 
and then the maximum in the program, like at the actual site for participants at any one time, is 15. However, based on our experience with um, group schedules, work schedules, all of those things, we anticipate that on average uh, there'll probably be no more than about eight participants in the at the site at any one time okay. between eight and ten. Um, staff and personnel. I, I did have a, a chance to briefly review what I think was the actual um, RFP. Um, if I'm recalling from memory, but uh, social services type specialist, um, employment mm -hmm. guidance specialist. What what other staff are required, and how many staff do you anticipate um, being? What is the minimum number of staff you anticipate being present at the location at any given time? Um, so because the hours are, are 8 a.m., and you are right, it is in the staff report. It's also uh, what was what we submitted in our proposal to the Bureau. Um, the proposed hours are 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. So we will have some overlap and some folks that will not have all of our staff on site at the same time. The uh, staff complement, I believe, is seven or eight uh, staff total. Um, and the when there are programs scheduled, there's group treatment, there's meetings scheduled, then that the, then that will be the majority of those. So you probably have around four to five at any given time. Um, when it's uh, when there are less activities scheduled, less folks expected in the program, then that may be less staff on site. But if you assume a you know an average of eight people or less in the in the facility at any given time, um, that's a fairly good ratio of staff to participants. Um, in answer to your uh, question or when you were speaking to the type of staff, uh, it's, uh, there's a program director, a social services coordinator who works with uh, community agencies and community partners to identify opportunities for our participants and make sure that we're linking them up with all of the things that they need um, uh, within the community to be successful. There are is employment specialists, uh, case managers, and um, electronic monitoring specialists. Does the electronic electronic monitoring is that um, does that take place at the site? They we can set the folks up, put them on, or you know check them and make sure their electronic monitors and everything are working correctly. Um, but the twenty four seven piece um, is done uh, off site. All right, I think that um, uh, those are most of my questions. I, I, I'll conclude my, my questions with one more. Um, uh, in social services coordinator, for example, um, and, and the employment services that you're seeking to provide. Um, I guess my question would be this. To what extent um, do you um, already have resources and partnerships available, um, or, or what is the gap between you're able to yourself sort of build the competency in order to actually um, provide these services relative to the time that you begin to see um, actual clients, customers, parolees, what, you know, whatever they are? That's a great question. So uh, for us, we've been experts in implementing these programs, and, and most of our day reporting centers do have employment specialists on site. Um, and our implementation is usually 60 days. Uh, in this case, actually, there'll be some, we, we have a, 
folks here who will be able to speak to some uh, projects and things that we're already working on. Um, in addition, we've also met with um, the trades uh, union folks to talk about opportunities for getting um, our participants engaged in jobs in the building trades um, and what that would look like to get them paid training and um, paid apprenticeships and then long-term uh, careers. So we have already, you know, uh, not assuming we would get this, but started that conversation to say, listen, if we were approved, we would be able, would we be able to start developing these opportunities? Thank you, Mr. Chair. That's all my questions. Thank you so much, Vice Chair Lucian. Uh, Commissioner Yee. Thank you. I'll try and make this quick because I'm looking forward to hearing the public comments. But a couple quick questions. What are the metrics that the Bureau of Prisons has for this program? How do they measure success? How do they measure achieving their goals? What is your accountability to them, and what is their oversight of your program? Okay, some multi-phase question here. Um, so the, as far as their outcomes, they look at what's important to them are um, those that successfully complete the program, um, if there are uh, issues, um, if someone is, is, uh, has relapsed and their drug use or something else has come up, then we are required to, risk to, to notify them immediately. Um, and then they will work with determining whether or not it's appropriate to pull that person back into secure custody or whether or not, they, you know, depending on the nature of the infraction, if it's something that can be addressed um, with an intermediate sanction. Another big piece uh, that they track very closely is um, employment. Um, so typically right now in our, our programs that work with the Federal um, Bureau of Prisons, our uh, employment rate ranges between uh, about 80 and 90 percent of our participants being gainfully employed. Um, and then um, trying to remember all the, the other pieces to your question. Um, and then they don't look necessarily at recidivism because obviously that's a longer term strategy. They're looking more at those intermediate outcomes. Oh, oh and then oversight. They do. They do um, not only an annual audit, but our programs are assigned a contract oversight specialist from the Bureau, and they also do unscheduled, unannounced um, audits at a minimum every quarter. And if there is a concern or an issue, then they may increase that and, and show up at any given time to do. That person responsible for oversight, is that person located in San Francisco, Sacramento? Where is that person? Uh, the Bureau is, um, they're structured regionally. Um, so actually, like, for example, Southern California reports into Southern California, but um, Northern California may have folks in um, Stockton, or they may be working with folks that are in another regional office somewhere. Um, they're not, the oversight person is not necessarily based in Sacramento, um, but they have a region that they're assigned to. Thank you. Th thank you, Commissioner Yee. Um, I have a couple uh Quick questions. I want to public comment as soon as possible. Um, my first question is for the staff. I know that the whole entire building is 16,000 square foot feet, and they're using about 8,000. If they wanted to, I know there's a 50 client cap. They wanted to expand hypothetically into the additional space they're not using. Would they need to come back before us, or that's a deal they make with their landlord if they wanted to? Uh, it would depend largely on the, the nature of, of how much they want to modify what was approved um, here. Um, they would, of course, have to come back to the planning department. Um, we do have a process for uh, minor and major modifications to a uh, 
conditional use permit. Got it. Okay. Thank you. And my, my second question is for the applicant. Um, I, maybe I missed it in the staff report. Is this male only? Is it co-ed? In terms of your clientele. Um, this particular program, it, it, it sometimes can be both. In this particular program, um, the, they are initially starting it out with male only. Okay. And my last question is, they show up to your site. They can't bring their child or spouse. They only show up by themselves, correct? For the most part, that's true. They only show up by themselves. They may have a spouse, may bring them to the program. Um, uh, the only time that they are allowed or would potentially bring children to the program is for sponsored family events. So we do family reintegration and parenting program programming also. And one of the keys there is that it's great if, if we can work with you and, and, and you can talk through and learn how to do it, but until you can figure out how to apply the skills that you're learning, it's less beneficial. So we will um, occasionally, if we have approval of the agency, we would do, may do like a family event, which would be that the facility itself would be closed to other participants coming in. But for those that are involved in family reintegration, they might learn how to do crafts or do a holiday party or a game night or, or something else just to be able to start to apply what they're learning in the program directly there in a monitored setting. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Seeing no further commissioner questions or comments, we'll go to public comment. Thank you. Uh, the first comment card I have is from Robert uh, Mus Mosquito. And the second is from Jesse Reese. And if any, anyone would like to speak on this item, there are comment cards in the back of the room. Good evening, commissioners, and thank you for allowing me to speak. Um, I'm standing before you in support of GEO Reentry and their program. Uh, my name is Robert Mosqueda, and I was once a client of the GEO program in Stockton, California. Uh, being a Marine veteran and um, basically growing up in the Department of Corrections, my father was 35 years Department of Corrections. I often preface with people I was an inmate before I, before I was ever a son. So most of the time, most of my thinking was set around structure. Um, I didn't know how to have uh, life skills in the way of outside of what uh, a structured environment dictated. Um, and that going into the Marine Corps, that just reinforced what I already knew. It was a structured line of living. And when I came home, I didn't have the skill sets to reintegrate into society properly. And ended up dwindling myself down through drugs and criminal activity. I didn't know how to uh, function within a normal society without somebody telling me what to do. Uh, people would often ask me, what do you want to do? I do not know. What do you want me to do? And I didn't have those skill sets. Upon getting released from state prison in August of 2011, I paroled to the GEO reentry program and where they taught me cognitive behavioral therapy. They, learned, they taught me how to deal with some of the emotions that I had compartmentalized and didn't know how to uh, deal with emotions like the loss of my sister, the loss of my mother. Um, I didn't know how to grieve. I didn't know how to um, function and think uh, in a pro-social uh, environment. Going to GEO reentry, they taught me all of those skills. They taught me how to think for myself, how to uh, be okay with crying, how to uh, assess a plan for myself and develop my life skills to where 
I would be able to be successful. Because of the geo reentry program, I've been able to obtain two degrees, one in behavioral science and one in sociology. I'm currently a student at USC uh, uh, working on my master's degree in social work. I have full custody of my daughters who are probably mad at me right now because I haven't fed them dinner. Um, but all of those things have been possible because of the skill sets that Gio has given me to um, take control of my own life. Today I stand before you. I work for the city of Stockton under the city manager's office of the Office of Violence Prevention. I am a peacekeeper, so I do consistent outreach work. One of the things, and I know my time is running short here, but one of the things that a lot of my colleagues would probably say back here that, that know me was my famous quote was, I hate people. I didn't know how to interact with people. Today, I love people and all I do is give my life to people to help them change their lives and to be more productive in society. Thank you. Thank you, Robert, and, and thank you for your service to our country as a Marine. And uh, congratulations on your on your studies at USC fight all. Thank you Commissioner Juan Conley uh, Ask a question uh, please. Scotta. I saw you um, with your two Yes, ma'am Sorry So yes, uh, I get a feel that you are very caring and protective father to them uh, I want to ask you this question and I want you to uh, look me in the eye and tell me if the two little girls are go to are going to the school that are within a thousand feet of the state reporting center, would you be concerned? No, ma'am. And I can honestly answer that question because of my experience within the program and the staff that is there. Individuals that are getting out of prison, they're getting out. Whether we like it or not, they're getting out and they're within society. What GEO offers them is the skill sets and the tools to reintegrate into society. Human behavior tells us if we don't give them something, they're going to go back to what they know. And unfortunately, the individuals that are getting out of prison, they're there for making poor life choices. What GEO has been able to give me and give others is the skill set to make the right choices. And within that system, they have a really caring staff that is constantly monitoring them. There is constant communication that people are completely unaware of. There's nothing slipping through the cracks. Case managers talking to program directors, talking to you know job placement. There's always constant communication. Thank you for answering my question. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Wong Conley. Uh, Jesse Reese. And after Jesse Reese is uh, Michael Rivera. Good evening to the commission. Uh, my name is Jesse Reese, president of the Medview Neighborhood Association. And my concern and my thoughts, and I've gone to numerous meetings with the GO, um, you know, company, and my thoughts are still the same and concerned about the, uh, you know, proposed uh, location at 700 Franklin Boulevard, actually, uh, I'm here to, like, urge you to say no on that project. And just like you asked about, you know, with the gentleman, uh, be okay with his kids going to that school, uh, going to the school within that proximity. I say to you that uh, we talked about school proximity. 
We talked about uh, St. Patrick, which is approximately three miles. Bowling Green Elementary School, approximately two miles. Businesses within close proximity, whereas alcohol could be purchased, which caused more problems, seemed like when an individual first get out of confinement, allegedly, the first thing that comes across their mind is alcohol and ladies. And we do not want that to materialize in our community. Our community has enough challenges. We do not need or request any more challenges. Uh, the group have painted a really, really pretty picture, but I liken that to uh, doing a car. You paint a car that has not had the body refurbished, spot's going to look good, but then you know what's going to happen eventually. To me, and I'm just saying this, that GEO is always trying to do things on the cheap. I think what GEO could do is uh, to have enough money, find a, find a place, find a spot. We got a lot of uh, fields and open land out there, build a complex, and utilize your staffing to do your own uh, getting people back and forth to their jobs, at least until they be able to get a vehicle. And they mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, we'll have a job or they give them a job within uh, a month. You know, you have people that go to college, you have other individuals that have been looking for jobs well over a month. So I asked at the meeting uh, before, what's going to happen if they don't get a job within a month? Well, we'll bring them back in, we'll bring them back in, and we'll access as to why, why they cannot get a job, why they cannot keep a job. Me, uh, myself, I was in the industry, and uh, I know what it took for me to get in there, and it's very competitive. So what are these individuals going to do if they cannot get a job? Are they going to result to panhandling or asking me for a quarter when I go to the store? And you're going to need uh, money to get on transit. Where is this money going to come from? So I urged uh, the commission just to uh, say what somebody said in the past, just say no. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, Michael Rivera. Then after uh, Michael Rivera, it's Effie Bryant, Effie uh, Bryant or Effie Grant. Gant. All right. Good evening, commissioners. Thank you for this opportunity to speak. Um, I'm opposed to the project. Um, I agree with uh, what Jesse said here in front of me, a lot of the things. Um, Robert's case was phenomenal. That's uh, quite an example, but I don't think that's going to be extremely common. In a lot of cases, I have about 14 years working in law enforcement, and I do see a lot of recidivism in the uh, in, in incarceration and people that are released. Um, also, I'm a stakeholder in the community. I've been there for about 37 years. My family lives there. Um, my children have been raised there, grandchildren. And it, it bothers me that we're going to be bringing in potentially more offenders. We have noticed, like much of Sacramento, an uh, influx in our transient population, which has increased in property crimes throughout our neighborhood. And also uh, with the probation uh, department within the neighborhood, there's also an uh, increase in, in criminal activity uh, over the past years that I've noticed. And uh, with that said, I would just like to see some more family-friendly growth in our community. This project sounds like it'd be great, uh, but like Jesse said, maybe somewhere a little further removed. I mean, we're a half mile where it's going to be situated is a half mile. Uh, within that half mile, there's four schools. Luther Burbank, Bowling Green, Fern Bacon, and a charter school. 
and those public transportation routes are probably going to be the same ones that the students use on a daily basis and with us not knowing what crimes they may have committed in the past I think it just opens itself to reoffenders. I mean, people possibly reoffending our folks in our community. So I'm opposed to it. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Effie Gant, then Bishop Charles Baker. Good evening, uh, commissioners. My name is Effie Gant, and I am the uh, president representing the Hampton Station community. And uh, I'm here to speak in behalf of our community because we are deeply concerned. We were unfortunately not informed or educated pertaining to the daycare center. Uh, so we strongly oppose the use and the conditional use of a permit at 7000 Franklin Boulevard. We're concerned because we view the establishment of a uh, daycare reporting center in this area will definitely be uh, inconsistent with the progress that we view is taking place in the region for the community and for District 8. We have accomplished a lot so far pertaining to the foreign mall, Delta Shore developments. And uh, as far as the businesses being aware at 7,000 uh, Franklin Boulevard, there's not a lot of information pertaining to what is going on that is taking place pertaining to the center. We have did some more uh, research pertaining to the, G the GEO group, and we're definitely not satisfied with the reports that we have received pertaining to that. So we oppose it. We are very concerned about the safety of our family, of our children, and we are not unsympathetic pertaining to anything, but there's a time and a place and a season for in and everything, and we say no to this project. Thank you. Thank you. Bishop Charles Baker. Chris. Sorry, Bishop Chris Baker. Good evening, Commissioners. After, after hearing about this, me, myself, being involved in inmate ministry and all those sorts of things, I was kind of on the fence, but as I did research and looked at various options, things people do, there's some shape and form that we have to allow them to integrate back in society. As I heard someone say, they're going to get out, they're going to be amongst us. If they're going to get out, what are we offering them in order for them not to go back? And if we look at what I'm hearing a lot of comments about, people don't agree with this, they don't agree with that, but we all live by our own opinions, that's what we are given. But as tireless hours, I did this on my own, not even Geo knows I did this, I checked at home with LA County sheriffs, 
the Board of Supervisors, Solano County Board of Supervisors, Fairfield Police Department, Solano County Police Department, and not neither one of them had a bad thing to say about the program. Now, it is understandable we have schools in that district within so many feet, three miles, or however we categorize it, but will this program really affect that? And I can stand here and tell you through my research, no, it won't. Because you have people that want to reintegrate with their families, but if we keep denying them that, and when they do get out and get in the community, what are they going to do? When they say, I want to do this thing, I want to do right, I don't want to go back to jail. What do we have to offer them? We have this type of program somewhere, shape, or form. We have to allow them that opportunity so they can be able to fit into society, take care of their families, get a job, and do what we require them to do. And I fully support it, and uh, I ask you to, uh, to support it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next is Dwayne Cook. Then Maria Richard. Sorry, Dwayne Cooks. Hello. My name is Dwayne Cooks. I was 28 years with the Department of Corrections. I retired as a chief deputy for the parole division. And I'm hearing some things in here today, so I want to share a story about me, how, how to change how I think about programming. When I was in Oakland as a parole agent, I arrested this guy five times. Last time I arrested him, he looked at me and he said, Mr. Cooks, you're good at putting me away, but how can you keep me out? And I went home because I was amongst my partners and friends. That's what we did back then. And I had to make a change. I looked in the mirror and I had to figure out, you're good at putting me in, but how can you keep me out? And I began to start turning around to programs, start investing into programs, understanding what the program means to an individual that has been down for a long time and gets out and has nothing. Nobody wants them around. Nobody wants them in the backyard. But programming, evidence-based programming, is the way to go. I have a nonprofit organization right now called the Civic Pit Stop Program, which is based out of San Francisco. I'm pretty sure some of you heard about it. We deal with formerly incarcerated individuals. I have about 40 individuals that work for me right now. I work with GeoCare in San Francisco, the Geo Reentry Facility. 95% of the people that I hire comes out of that program because we found out that when I don't connect the evidence-based programming to employment, that recidivism rate that you guys talk about goes up. Once you attach that programming piece and the job piece together, you'll look at that recidivism rate much different. And I think that's what we need to focus on. People saying a recidivism rate is high, but let's look at it, how, how much of that is from not having a job and not being in a program versus being in a program and having uh, employment. I'm looking at Sacramento. I had a meeting a couple days ago with uh, an individual that is thinking about funding a program here in Sacramento. I would definitely go over to this program and hire right from that program because I understand that population. I work with them day in and day out. I understand the barriers that they have. I understand when they, one of my guys was walking across the street and the hand was flashing, he stopped dead in the middle of the crosswalk because he didn't know. He wasn't in the program to teach them the basic things that they need. And a lot of individuals take that for granted, but those are the basic things that they need and these program places help them get, re, get back um, to the community 
and give them some dignity that they're welcome that they can be productive we have individuals that we hire that currently now supervisors in our program sustained employment a career benefits and so it's just it's it's I recommend this program I really do thank you thank you mr. cooks we have a question from Commissioner LaFosso thank you mr. chair thank you for your comments mr. cooks if you said this already my apologies but when you were referencing uh, having hired a large percentage of people from the geo program could you just tell me a little bit what what kind of jobs that were you hiring them for so in uh, in the pit stop program we uh, we have monitors that monitor restrooms throughout the city of San Francisco so they're called pit stop monitors and what they're responsible for is making sure that bathroom is clean smells good and safe and then we have them clean up the entire area and I, when I tell you clean up the entire area blocks and blocks that they clean up we started with four toilets in San Francisco we're up to 17 that gives you an idea how that program is working with these individuals that at first nobody wanted them but now they're saying what they're doing out in that city of San Francisco it is amazing right thank you very much sir thank you thank you mr. chair thank you uh, Maria Richard and Jenna uh, Boye Yard. Hi, good evening. My name is Maria Richard, and I'm actually the director of the Taylor Street Center that we've made reference to. I have worked with GEO um, at the Taylor Street Center for 17 years. Um, so, having no residential reentry center in San Francisco for 12 or 13 of those years, I've seen the direct effect on the individuals who have come out of prison from the federal system that are living here in the Sacramento area. And I have literally worked with hundreds of individuals who have been placed on home confinement um, through our program. And many of these individuals, they really struggle. They need to drive back and forth to San Francisco to get all the services that uh, Ms. Kinsler described, the life skill classes, the drug education classes, to see their counselor. All of that is in San Francisco because there's no program here. So the individuals need to drive to either Fresno or to Oakland or to San Francisco to get those services. So I highly recommend that we support this program to help the individuals that already live here in this area that need these services here where they, where they live. Um, I did want to just address a couple of things you asked about the cab meeting, so just a little bit more specifics. We do the community meetings at all of our programs. We do them every quarterly. It is a mixture of approximately 20 to 30 at, at my location. Having been there for 17 years, we sometimes have 40 people attend our, our meeting. Um, it is a combination of community members and neighborhood agencies and neighborhood organizations, um, church, law enforcement, um, our the Bureau of Prisons shows up at those meetings as well, and we discuss any concerns that the public might have. We also ask the individuals at those meetings, what can we do for you? And so one example, I think you asked what's an example of something that came out of the meeting. In our Oakland facility, it's right, it's in a residential neighborhood, but there's a freeway that goes right in front of it, and a lot of the garbage comes up on the street in that neighborhood. So the neighborhood council in that area asked if we would adopt 
the garbage along that entire street. And so we have our individuals every week go out there with bags of garbage and clean up the neighborhood. So that's something that was just how can these individuals give back. It's part of a restorative justice model that, that we support. Um, another question that was asked about the oversight specialist, the oversight specialist for this program is the same oversight specialist that I have, and they actually are located at 501 I Street, which is right down the street at the federal building. And so the oversight is here in Sacramento, and so is federal probation. So they are here as well. Um, and I just wanted to just really stress the fact that these individuals are already here in the community. Many individuals decide not to come to Oakland or Taylor Street because it's too much of a burden on their family and it's too much of a burden for them. And they actually stay in prison instead of coming to Sacramento, I mean, San Francisco or Fresno. And they end up coming straight to Sacramento without any transition services at all. And if federal probation was here, they could talk to you about those cases. Those cases have a much higher rate than our individuals that get that, that soft landing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jenna uh, Bolliard, then Lou Cox. Good evening, Commissioners. Um, my name is Jenna Boyarde. Uh, I am a graduate of the GEO Group. Um, I came to GEO after being on probation for 10 years, in and out of jail, drug addicted. Um, I had three felonies. I gave my kids up for adoption. Um, you know, I've, I, when I ended up getting GEO Group, I actually went into my probation officer and told him that you might as well give me my time because I, I, I just, that's all I know how to do. I've tried to do this for, for a long time. She said, that's the thinking that GEO Group's designed to change. She put me in it, and um, I, now, uh, I now work with city and county in Napa. Um, I work in housing. Uh, I sit on the Napa County COC because I was formerly homeless. Um, I also sit on the National Alliance Den Homelessness uh, Consumer Advisory Board, so they fly me all over America to speak about homelessness and that kind of thing. Um, I am an advocate. I work in Napa housing people. Um, in fact, I took a lady living in her car today and put her in a room and, and that kind of thing. So um, I... Uh, and when I entered Geo Group, I was really angry at the government. You know, I mean, that was, and their their curriculum is actually designed to change that way of thinking. I'd never been treated with as much respect as I was in Geo Group, and made they, they made me feel like a human. Um, from there, uh, I want to say that you know, not it, these people are already in your community. Um, I work with a population that isn't offered services. I work with heavy mental health patients. I work with homeless individuals. I work with drug addicted individuals. They don't have these kinds of services and they stay homeless and they continue to rob and steal and they continue using drugs because they don't know how to do anything else. I didn't know how to do anything else. And this is really just helping create healthier community members. You know, I now give back. I, I talked to both my kids today. I have great relationships with them. I dropped my son off at school this morning. I'm a mother to him. You know, I mean, it's, it, and it all started with Geo Group. So that's, I guess. Thank you. Lou Cox. Hi. Um, I came out of retirement a year and a half ago to clean up 7,000 Franklin Boulevard. 
Uh, we are lit up like a Christmas tree now. Uh, my coworker is a former ranger. The only problem that I have is a continuous ongoing battle keeping the homeless population that goes to the wellness center in their specific area. We do not allow any loitering by anyone. Any vehicles that are disabled are towed. Um, it's an ongoing challenge. I've worked with a property manager having the vacant lot directly in front of us. That has been cleaned up. There have been a lot of improvements to the property. Um, I'm pretty pleased with what has happened. I'm really excited about GEO coming in. If I weren't, I would actually have a lot of say in that area with the owner. So um, I'm very pleased and I've heard some very positive things and I only worked for six months with the probation group that was there prior and uh, never had any problems whatsoever with the probation group at all or any of those individuals going to their facility. As far as the schools, uh, we started counting the number of children that actually walk across the property to go to their homes. Um, the highest has been 10, the lowest has been two. And um, that's pretty much it. Thank you, we have a uh, question from Commissioner Alfonso. Before we go to Commissioner Alfonso, I have a quick question. You're, just to clarify, you're representing the owner, you are the owner of the property? No, to... I am a commercial property manager. I've been doing it for about 40 years, 20 on commercial, 20 prior on residential. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Lafazo. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I'm actually gonna ask you a question I was gonna ask uh, the applicant. Thank you for being here. So do I understand your, your, your mission with 7,000 is sort of a volunteer project or they've hired you to do this? Um, I never said I was a nice little old lady. They hired me. <laughs> that's that's perfectly fine. That 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 uh, establishes well, your credentials. Um, I was just hoping you'd just give me a flavor of what the range of businesses is at that business park. Service businesses, retail businesses, whatever it is. No retail. Um, basically, a lot of self-help. I, I have another choice, another chance that deals with uh, youth that are having difficulty with gangs. I have um, Birth and Beyond, which has, I'm very impressed with, is, is an outreach program for families that need help, not only uh, with food and clothing, but also teaching them how to better take care of their children, uh, that type of thing. I have a lot of warehouses. Most of them are contractors. Um, in the area. I have uh, a church and I, I'm going to say this too. I am out on the property myself at night I, and I don't live in the area. I'll drive over and I will get out of my car and walk around the property at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. We, our security company comes on at midnight to 6 I believe it is and I'm, I'm very comfortable. I'm not frightened at all. Um, there's, it's kind of like a ghost town later in the evening, but we are well lit and um, that's gonna continue. That was one of the problems, first thing I noticed when I got there. Appreciate it very much, thank you, Ms. Cox. Thank you.
Thank you. Uh, next is Steve Lord, then Tina Lord. Thank you, Chairman and uh, members. Um, the last speaker is braver than I am. I live about a mile from that facility. I drive by it every day. It is a scary place. I wouldn't walk through there under any circumstances. I moved into Parkway Estates, which is about a mile, like I said, from the facility. 28 years ago, the neighborhood was clean, nice, decent, pleasant, secure, and a comfortable place to be. I've watched the neighborhood and the surrounding area go downhill gradually over the past 28 years, more precipitously in the last couple of years, with an influx of what, uh, for lack of a kinder and gentler and more uh, politically correct term, um, undesirables coming into the neighborhood. People who, are, who have problems staying on the right side of the law, people who have problems uh, not abusing drugs or alcohol, people who have problems keeping a job, people who have problems owning a house, keeping a, keeping a residence. Um, I, I worry that bringing more people into the neighborhood who fit that description of people who have uh, made poor decisions in their life and wound up on the wrong side of the law. I wonder if that is not going to push the neighborhood, which is now on the brink of becoming a, uh, an undesirable place to live, over the brink. I also question the advisability of bringing uh, the people that we're talking about uh, housing in this facility into a neighborhood where they are going to be surrounded by bad influences. It's a high crime area. Uh, it's a gang-infested area. Um, there's a lot of drug abuse. There's a lot of vagrancy. And I worry that uh, the people in this facility are going to be negatively influenced by their immediate surroundings as much as uh, the neighborhood might be negatively influenced by their presence there. Um, <clears throat> it, seems to be, it seems to me to be a lose-lose situation. And I would urge the council to uh, try to find a more appropriate place for this facility, um, both for the community and for the people who will be uh, using it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, next is Tina Lord. Hello, council. My name is Tina Lord. Um, like my husband said, we've lived there for 28 years and we have seen a definite decline in um, our residents. Um, our concerns are our home values are going to be decreased. People generally um, are not going to want to live in a neighborhood where we have, um, we already have a, um, a drug facility there on Florin Road, and now we're talking about having this um, a care facility for inmates, which we're not opposed to. We think that's a great idea. We've listened to all the wonderful stories and success stories, and that's great. But we're seeking um, <clears throat> some understanding that we are really not wanting this in our neighborhood. Um, it appears that I'm assuming anybody here on the council and in this audience, does anybody live in South Sacramento? 
Okay, so, okay, so we have one person that works, that lives in South Sacramento. So um, I would hope that you would agree with me that it appears that South Sacramento is kind of the dumping ground for a lot of the uh, programs. Um, most of the people are very um, understanding and want to help, but our parks have been filled with homeless people. I can't walk my dog down the street anymore for fear, like in my own neighborhood, for fear that there are these homeless people right in my neighborhood, across in my neighborhood, where I paid for my home. So. You know, and I'm fighting to go shopping in my neighborhood. So I'm, I'm really opposed to having another facility that houses criminals or even if they're trying to rehabilitate them. We, we, like I said, I understand that, but it, it affects our whole um, well-being of, of where, we, where we live. Um, it affects our lifestyle. Um, like I said, we're, we've come to where we can't really leave our home because of all these different factors that have happened in our neighborhood. And it appears that <clears throat> right down the street in uh, Curtis Park, they wanted to put this in the railroad area, and that was totally opposed. It's not going there because the people stood up and said, no, you know what, we don't want it in our backyard, and we really don't want this in our backyard. We're not opposed to it, but it needs to be somewhere that is not, um, you know, in the middle of where we do have the little bit of shopping that we do. This is not going to add to our economy in our side of town where other, you know, uh, neighborhoods are thriving because places that are going in are businesses where people will, uh, uh, you know, uh, frequent and, and um, you know, use those businesses. This is nothing that our community can use. This is not going to help any of us spend any of our money in our community. Um, so that's not going to help our community that we can see in any way. So we um, totally oppose this. So we hope that you take that into consideration. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Is there a question for Commissioner LaFalso? No, I'm still last one. Oh, sorry. Next and, uh, is Amanda Owens. And if there's any more public comment, please fill out a card and bring it to the front. Good evening and uh, thank you Chairman Burke. I'm Amanda Owens and I have the privilege of working for Geo Reentry as the area manager for Northern California. And what that means is in my role, I currently oversee seven day reporting centers that we have in Northern California. And having worked for Geo Reentry in our day reporting centers for almost a decade, I can tell you that I have never in almost 10 years experienced any violence. I have never felt for my safety, and I have never had to call law enforcement due to any violence that we've had in the facilities. In the seven counties that I work in, I can say that these are seven counties that are proud to have geo reentry in their communities. They can say that they're making a difference in the recidivism rates, in the public safety, in making their communities be part of the solution when it comes to working with offenders in the criminal justice system. At the end of the day, as many individuals have mentioned here tonight, all of these people who would be coming to the day reporting center, these 30 individuals, will be in the community whether geo reentry is here assisting them or not. I ask that you take a look at truly being part of the solution. Everything we do is evidence-based. 
evidence-based in terms of what's truly going to have an impact on the community, recidivism rates, and changing behavior. People have mentioned tonight about not feeling safe in their communities or not being able to go out at night. Uh, the two individuals who spoke here tonight, I think that if you would have seen them, you would not have labeled them an offender or a felon or someone who was not making a positive impact on the communities that you reside. So I ask again that you be part of the solution and that you give individuals a second chance in coming back to our community. So thank you. Thank you. Seeing no further public comment, we'll close the public comment period. Um, would the applicant like to rebut any questions or have a final statement before we take commission action? Sorry, I see a question from Vice Chair Lucian. Oh, go ahead, applicant, please. <laughs> uh, thank you, Chairman Burke. Thank you, Commission. Um, I think a lot of it's already been said. We understand why there is a fear of the unknown or a, why this would be a concern for neighbors. Um, not because the facts uh, justify that or 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 have proven it to be uh, a risk to the community, but rather because it's a natural response to have that concern. That being said, I've, I've heard comments this evening about bringing people into this neighborhood. And I think there's this assumption that the participants in this program wouldn't, aren't, aren't already neighbors, aren't already in this neighborhood. Yes, they could be from North Sacramento or West Sac or, or downtown, but they also may very well be living in this um, community. As Ms. Owens mentioned, we may, it's very likely that we wouldn't know. There is no label, there is no, no special identifier that says this is someone who's been um, involved in the justice system. And, and quite frankly, more and more, uh, there are folks throughout our communities that are involved or have been involved in ways we never expected. Um, the other thing that has come up a couple times in comments is a concern about temptation or bringing folks into a community and they may be tempted by alcohol or, um, or some, other, some other temptation. These folks already are here. They are living in your community. Uh, whether they choose to get this additional accountability and supportive services or not, they will continue to face those challenges of temptation. Everywhere you go, there are schools. Everywhere you go, there are places of alcohol. We all know, won't even get you all started, but as you know very well, we are facing more and more the issue of, of uh, marijuana and other things in the communities uh, throughout California. Um, our job and part of what we're doing is to work with these folks so that they make better choices that when faced with those temptations or faced with those challenges that they can make the decisions that you or I might make and uh, be successful and to not fall back into those uh, into any traps or any pitfalls that would get them back in the system and I and that's all I have um, if there's any other questions for us thank you and it seems like we have one question from vice chair Lucia okay there are no questions thank you We're done with public comment, Commissioner Vice Resolution. Commissioner, question, questions, comments, motions. Yes, thank you, Mr. Chair. I'm sorry. I, uh, 
messed up the mic. Um, thank you, Mr. Chair. I, um, in thinking about the proposal um, and in even meeting with the applicant and some of the community members, I think what I've done is <clears throat> I think I've struggled to grasp um, what my thoughts are on the project um, torn in a couple of ways. Um, reentry programs, reentry services, um, in many instances have been, you know, studied and proven to be value added. Um, to the extent that we can do those and do those well and do it right, um, it's value added. On the other hand, I think if I could briefly summarize collectively what at least some um, members of the community um, feel is, is, is a concern about the proximity to the schools across the street, um, some concerns about proximity to, to neighborhoods, um, and overall feeling that the area is amenity poor, uh, is swelling with homelessness. Um, as a matter of fact, probably about a half a mile down, um, the school district probably right now, or certainly tonight, um, is voting more likely than not to approve a homeless shelter on 24th and Florin, which, which isn't that far down. Um, it, it, it's a feeling overall that um, because of so few amenities and the challenges that you encounter when you cross certain intersections and, and you drive into certain neighborhoods, um, Overall, it, it, it tends, to, tends to elevate stress levels. And what I mean by that is, and, and this is actually, it's been studied um, by various uh, researchers in universities, is when you, when you encounter areas that, that have different types of blight and um, what's known as physical disorder, it, it elevates stress levels. It makes people nervous, nervous irrespective of you know, what type of use or how, what value the use is going to bring to the area. And I, and I think that's, <clears throat> that probably overall summarizes, at least for the most part, um, a lot of what I heard at community meetings or from community members, the, the vacant lots being unkempt, um, the uh, Franklin Boulevard location, it may be well lit around the structures, but the location has a very, very large parking lot, and then even behind it, there's, I don't know if it's connected to the lot, um, it, 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 it's not very well lit overall. Um, an abundance of kind of social services, reentry, alcohol, rehabilitation, um, but so few amenities, so few amenities that I think just combine to um, make people feel dumped on. Um, and, you know, irrespective of what type of, what type of uh, offenders um, come into contact or, or are going to arrive at the location, I mean, I know we heard bank robbery, fraud. I mean, there are a plethora of federal sexual offenses. There is a federal sex offender registration statute. 
Um, you know, there are child prostitution federal statutes. You know, they, there may be some of that. There may not be. Um, obviously, I think there's concern um, from that. But in sort of viewing, um, in viewing the location, not unlike um, what we discussed with one of the previous proposals, uh, there was a feeling that um, that previous area was on the cusp of a turnaround. Now, obviously, because there's been a lot of investment of energy uh, by the city and there's been expressed interest, it, it, I don't know that it was really tangible um, during that previous hearing, but there was expressed interest um, by the development community that something would arise. Um, it sounded to me like this commission said, we're willing to bet on um, better amenities. Um, we're willing to bet on um, a, uh, a, a location that really contributes to the upbringing of that particular environment. Or, and, and I would you know, respectfully like us to um, take that chance here. And, and for those reasons, I, I won't be supporting the proposal. Thank you so much, Vice Chair Lucian. Uh, Commissioner Pluckybaum. Two quick questions for the applicant, and then I'll um, make a motion to approve. Um, I think a lot of the concerns we've heard from the community are about folks coming um, back and forth to the program, and you've already expressed that the, there's a no loitering policy for your program. The property manager has expressed the whole facility has a no loitering policy, and, and I think there's been adequate testimony in terms of the cleanliness and security and safety of the facility in, on, in both respects. Is there anything else that you think might, if only just assuage uh, public neighbors' concerns, is there anything else that, that GEO has done in other locations or, or that you might recommend, uh, might be willing to do to, to provide uh, a greater sense of security than is already a part of the application? Um, well, I think we are committed to being very engaged with the neighborhood, with the direct neighbors, um, with uh, neighboring um, business improvement districts and neighborhood associations. Um, with regard to this, actually with the security cameras here um, uh, and the density of those in, in such a small program, it's actually one of the um, higher levels of security that we have done. Um, there are other things that we could consider, but um, uh, historically if you were doing things um, like uh, the security that's already at the facility and the folks that are monitoring within the, the park, there's not a lot more that needs to be done. And as, as folks who've worked in this industry for a long time have also mentioned, I've been doing this for about 20 years and, and have never, it's just a non, it's, it's been a non-issue. So um, we certainly want to be a good partner, whatever that may look like. Do you plan on joining the Floor and Road Partnership and participating in, in, in that group, in that neighborhood group? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely be willing to do that. We're actually not part of the, we're not within the, the Floor and Road area, but certainly um, they're involved as well as uh, we're within the Monterey Trail. Right, right. Um, uh, would you be open to uh, providing some additional security parking lot monitoring for some period of time um, as, a, as a voluntary good neighbor kind of practice until folks become more comfortable and, and sort of monitoring that feedback through the Floor and Road Partnership and the Franklin Boulevard uh, Association? Um, I, I think we want to be a good partner, so we'd certainly be willing to consider something like that. I don't know that that's really, um, in my experience, what's going to be the most beneficial. 
Um, there are uh, um, law enforcement staff and there is a, a law enforcement presence already based on um, the property management and the, the ownership's request for that and the need there. Um, and that's going to be very powerful. And I think having that ongoing communication with law, local law enforcement is very beneficial. Um, we'd be willing to do something, we could do it. I just don't know that a, an unarmed security person is going to um, provide any more tr uh, security benefit than the, the staff that are there and trained and working with the program. I, I appreciate what uh, your willingness to consider uh, these kinds of good neighbor practices and, and your uh, willingness to join with the, the uh, neighboring um, associations that will help support the business community in that area. And with that, I'll, I'll move approval of staff recommendation. Thank you. So, so I'm hearing a motion from Commissioner Pluckybaum and a second from Commissioner LaFalza? Yes, I'll, I'll second the motion. Thank you. you have any questions, Commissioner LaFalza? Uh, a couple comments. Okay. Um, one, I want to... Everything that Vice Chair Lucian says about stress levels is, in fact, well documented. I think that's very well taken. Um, nothing makes me more feel uncomfortable than, you know, seeing a divided community and taking a side, but that's what we're here for. Um, you know, there's something that happens where, you know, everyone says, who's from my area, raise a hand, you know, because they think that we're not listening to everybody and, Ms. Lord, the last time somebody asked that question, I was the only one to raise my hand because I come from a different part of the city. And a city the size of ours, it's hard to have a lot of us be from one place and then not leave other places left out. Um, but uh, just apropos to the last one, um, um, actually, it was pretty uncomfortable with the last, with the reasoning of the last report. I think I made that pretty clear. But I think what distinguishes that one from this one. Um, was the serious, serious, serious city investment in the form of that promise zone uh, in that other area. Um, interestingly enough, a lot of the issues that came up in there I can kind of sort of turn on their head, um, which is to say I, I do think that the really small footprint in terms of foot traffic that's going to be produced here is, is, is very important to the decision. Interestingly enough, that cut the other way and the other one. Um, the, the, the business park we're talking about is zoned M1, and it's not suitable for uh, commercial retail, and it's not going to attract um, commercial retail. Um, so I don't think that by saying no to this, we're improving that situation. Um, I absolutely agree with the vice chair about neighbors' feelings that there's not a lot of investment in their community and a lack of amenities. Um, you know, we go through a lot of this sort of imperfect decision-making. No, no choice is perfect. At the end of the day... Um, I think the footprint is small, and I don't think this is just the avenue to get the better amenities. That's a real issue. It's a real serious issue. Um, but on balance, I mean, in reality, it's a pretty small 
impact. On balance, I can't help thinking it's going to be positive because we have a, we have a, a population we need to serve. And frankly, I think we're pretty lucky that the Federal Bureau of Prisons wants to invest in this program in Sacramento. Um, and at the end of the day, I just, I just don't think this decision is going to be that impactful one way or the other. Um, but I think it's going to be positive uh, overall, marginally. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner LaFaso. Commissioner Kaufman? Thank you, Chair Burke. Um, I agree with uh, both the analysis and conclusions that Commissioner LaFaso has just made, both in relation to the project we had previously considered, but also to the impact of, likely impact of this project. Um, I do have a question for Commissioner Pluckabaum. Are you willing, I, I think your question about the involvement of certain groups in the community is important. And I have the sense that this group is going to do this anyway, but I think it would be useful to have a formal condition that requires the applicant to invite um, the relevant neighborhood association participants, uh, the relevant uh, PBID uh, leadership, and one or more representatives from the school board to participate. They can include anybody else they want, and they clearly are going to do that, and they're very likely going to do this anyway, but I would just think it's worth making that explicit because those are the people that have come out here today say that they may have issues with this. Looking in the conditions, maybe staff can help. I think there's a good neighbor condition already. Yeah, we were just reviewing the first um, planning condition, B1. We are uh, asking for a good neighbor policy. Um, beginning with an open house for uh, and notification to all property owners within 300 feet um, if there were specific entities. I'm suggesting yeah. that they issue invitations to the relevant neighborhood associations to participate on their accountability board for invitations to go out to the relevant PBIDs and to representatives from the school board. Should. At a minimum. See the applicant nodding their heads, and I'm open to that amendment. So, so, so I believe the the motion would be uh, as a staff recommendation, with the amendments to B1 that uh, Commissioner Kaufman has made, um, is the seconder. Uh, I I'm good with it. I actually uh, I wanted to wrap up, but I wanted to give a shout out to Ms. Gant because she told me about a neighborhood associated I wasn't aware of and. She's the contact person on the city's website for that neighborhood association. So just, uh, I, I just hope the, I, I'm good with it. I just hope the applicant would just go the extra mile and maybe consult with the local council members. I guess it's in District 5, but it's very close to District 8, and just get a good sense as to which neighborhood associations. I can tell Ms. Gantz isn't quite in the area, but if she's staying through all this this long this evening, you know, whatever distance that is, that's important to her community. and. Uh, I see a nod yes for the for the um, for the applicant, but yeah, thank you, Commissioner Kaufman. Thank you, Commissioner Plakabo. Thank you. Any further questions, Commissioner LaFonce? Okay. Thank you. Uh, with that, we'll go for a roll call. Commissioner LaFonso. Aye. Oville. Aye. Hoffman. Aye. <laughs> He answered I on mine, so I answered Oh, I thought it was mine. Sorry. 
<laughs> Lindsay? Aye. Farrell? Aye. Lucky Bomb? Aye. Rogers? Aye. Ron Connolly? Aye. E? No. Ogilvy? Aye. Vice Chair Lucian? No. Chair Burke? Aye. Motion passes. Thank you. We'll go to um, any additional public comment for matters not on the agenda? Seeing none, we'll go to final member comments, questions, ideas. Uh, Commissioner Fossil? Mr. Chairman, I want to commend you on your leadership uh, taking the red eye to New York this <laughs> week to uh, help our city secure a major economic development uh, asset in terms of uh, hopefully achieving our goal of getting a major league soccer team. And I don't want to belabor the meeting, but if you want to tell us a little bit about it, uh, please do so. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Yes, indeed. Uh, it was about 30 supporters of the Sacramento Republic soccer team, including myself. Um, the ownership team, uh, Mayor Steinberg, um, they did a pitch to the MLS yesterday. I was there to support the bid um, with 30 other supporters. Um, Sacramento's ready for MLS. Bring it home. And there should be an announcement by the end of the month uh, Sacramento's competing against Cincinnati, Nashville, and Detroit. Um, the insiders say we're looking really good uh, to have a professional soccer team. So uh, that would be a good win for us. So th thank you so much. Um, also, I want to make a quick comment. We're still looking for a, a commission liaison to the Sacramento Heritage Inc. board. Uh, uh, if you like preservation, if you want to get involved, uh, please let me know. Uh, we do need a commission representative uh, ASAP. Um, so please let me know. And Director Cosgrove? I got to punch up. Um, I'd like to ask that maybe Joy could come up to the podium. <laughs> I, I, should I announce your news or did you want to? I, well, no. Who told me? That, that you're supposed to say it. I'm supposed to say it. Okay, well, so um, Joy is retiring at the end of this year, and so we wanted to just bring her up here, let the commission know, and, um, well, she'll be around for a little while in the new year as uh, a returning retiree. Well, we, we, we hope. We, our, our hope is actually that you might not even know I'm gone. <laughs> so... So, but we'll we'll see that nothing's ever guaranteed in life. So, um, but I don't know. I've I've been here 35 years. Can you believe that? <laughs> so yes, you can, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, so there's just some personal things going on in my life, and uh, but I enjoy serving the city. So hopefully, I'll be seeing you um, in the coming year also. But um, I have a date on my birthday to retire. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joanne. Congratulations. And there's a party. So <laughs> <laughs> I should say. So in, in January, because who, I mean, there's too many other parties going on in December. So I just decided to forget about that. So um, there'll, there'll be a note that'll come out about a January party. So Thank, information. You. Thank you. And thank you for your service of the city of Sacramento. Thank you so much. And, and and with that, colleagues, I just want to, Jeff, do you have a comment? 
Chair, with your permission, I just thought I'd mention a fun fact. Uh, recently, the Governor's Office of Planning and Research put out its new general plan guidelines for 2017, and the City of Sacramento's general plan is mentioned many times in there in a good way. It's a nice read. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, I just want to, you know, today is Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day. I want to adjourn in honor of our, our veterans and the service they had to our country and fighting for our freedom. So with it is our last Planning Commission meeting of 2017. Thank you, staff. Thank you, commissioners, for your hard work. I uh, look forward to seeing you in 2018. And, and thank you, everyone, for making Sacramento a great place to live, work, and play. And hopefully in 2018 we'll have a major league soccer team in Sacramento. Have a good evening, everyone.